Welcome back to Let's Get Haunted with your host, Nat Strawn and Allie. Welcome back, everyone, to episode 49, our third episode for the month of October. And we are just plowing along with the spooky content for you guys. We're actually doing a lot more than I expected of us. Actually, I thought this podcast would have had a runtime of like maybe six episodes, but we're on episode 49. (laughs) That is incredible. This is the first time in our lives that Natalia and I have kept up with a hobby. So we appreciate you guys for listening. And in (laughs) fact... Today's episode is brought to you with an extremely special guest who you guys have been requesting over and over and over again. We've been getting tweets. We've been getting DMs for, I would say, probably a good year. Yeah. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce to you a very funny comedian, a talented singer, songwriter, an actor, a musician, a puppeteer, and a self-described hot Mexican fartist and co-creator <laughs> of the award-winning YouTube channel slash production company slash comedy troupe, The Valley Whoa, Folk. It's my Steve goodness. Zaragoza. Whoa, yes. what an intro. Wow. Woo, round of applause. I thought <laughs> We got Steve I love here. <laughs> Can you guys believe it? <laughs> That's the nut button. That's, oh, yeah. So we have this. I don't, we've just had this for a really long That's time. That's wonderful. I love it. I, what a, yeah. geez, what an intro. I, I don't think I, I was like, have I done all of that? What was it? Self described sexy Mexican farmer? What was that? Fartist. I'm a fartist. <laughs> what is that? Well, it's someone who, um, who has control over their farts. Not, not like where I can fart on command. <laughs> But control over my farts to a degree that I could call it fartistry. Oh, my God. See, when I heard that, I was, like, trying not to laugh so hard because I was like, there's no way that's what I think it is. Yeah. Yeah, But the fact that it's exactly what I think it is and that there's, like, a niche for that really makes me happy. Yeah. Well, I want to release a book called Fartistry. Or like how to be a fartist. (laughs) And uh, there's a lot of ways. There's like times to fart, like using a fart as a period in a sentence, (laughs) you know, (laughs) using it to get someone's attention. There's a lot to talk about. You know, I never I had never considered that. But now that you're saying it, I mean, there has to be a pretty big market for someone who's really good at fart timing. Oh, yeah, I'm. I'm a huge proponent of the arts and the sciences, so I just finding that those two blend together, <laughs> the biology and yeah. the art, the creative artistry, is just really satisfying. Yeah, it is a wonderful blending of art and biology. Yeah, 100%. Well, Steve, how are you doing today? I'm okay. You know, it's... um. I feel like I never know what day it actually is, and I never know what time it is, unless I look at a clock, which I try not to do, but, you know, <laughs> I'm okay. Yeah. I'm okay. How are you guys? Pretty good. We are great. I, like, are you ready to get haunted? Are I'm you nervous? I'm so ready. I, I love this kind of stuff, and ever since I heard that you were doing this, since the beginning, I have secretly wanted to be on <gasps> as well, so... Oh! Oh, that it's makes so us feel fortuitous. so good. Oh, thank yeah. you. Oh, my God. Well, I feel yeah. so popular. Wow. Yeah. Well, Alyssa, <laughs> you know, we, we worked together way back in the day. We sure did. Yeah. We used to have fun times at the SourceFed office. And, oh, you, you guys know. worked together in the SourceFed office? Yeah. So for our listeners wow. that maybe don't know, Steve and I actually met, I think it was 2012, when I was an unpaid intern for three months in college 
doing uh, bitch work at SourceFed, but it was really fun. I mean, because everyone there was so creative and nice. And I specifically remember you, Steve, because you were not that not that there were people that weren't nice. That's not what I'm saying. Everyone was really nice, but you were especially always making sure that the interns were like included and stuff. And oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I mean, interns are people too. Yeah. Right. I, I yeah. <laughs> I was an unpaid intern once. Yeah. yeah right. All been there. It's not. It's not yeah. the best, but you, right. you, you'd like to think that even if you're an unpaid intern, there's some people there that welcome you in and make you feel accepted. And I always try to do that. Yeah. With people. Yeah. Who well, you feel definitely like succeeded. Yeah. I love. Oh, I thank you. yeah. I loved that internship because I met Audrey through that, who's now one of my yeah. like best friends. I mean, it's crazy. I love Audrey. Yeah. Like thinking about. Right. I was thinking about this the other day and it's really easy to spiral into existentialism, but I was like, man, if I had never done that internship, there are so many people in my life that I would have never met. Like, it's crazy. Like right. I could have yeah. very easily. Same just... with me. Yeah. I true. highly doubt I would have ever done sugar pine seven or got into YouTube if it wasn't for that. Cause I was just like straight trying to do acting. And then you're like, Steve asked me, do you want to be uh, like a toy in this thing? And I was like, is it real acting <laughs> for a trained actor? And he's like, uh, okay, sure. Just like be at this random spot at the Valley in like two hours. And I'm like, Oh yes. An acting job for an actress okay i'll be there will i have a trailer yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah, i know it's crazy yeah and i actually prefer uh i mean i'm not an actress but i just love the new media scene like everybody is so nice and so like everyone works like 12 different jobs so they're really down to earth and like you don't feel like I don't know. You just feel like you're part of a community when you're hanging out with everyone. And there's like a helpful, like people, they're helpful too, right? Mm Because they have so Mm -hmm. many hats. Like we all have wear so many hats. But it's like, I can help you with this thing that I've done before. And, you know, maybe you could get some, help me with some things I've never done before. And, you know, it's very, hopefully it's like that for most people. It's an awesome community. Yeah. Yeah, It's a really great community. It's got its ups and also downs. Yeah, well... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's true. But you know what? We're going to focus yeah. on the ups today. Yeah, yeah, of course. There's too many downs right now anyway. Oh, I agree. Yeah. Well, speaking of wearing a lot of different hats, Steve, what are you working on these days? Because I saw you were just in a movie. Yeah, it's well, it's a TV show, but it's like it's it is. Well, you know, I, I never know what to actually call it because it's like, yeah, we made a movie. We totally made a movie. And then they chopped it up into a web series, which was going to be a TV series, which maybe in some iteration could have been a movie. Um, But yeah, it's called The Wayward Guide for the Untrained Eye. And it was uh, produced by some of the kids from Star Kid that made like the the Harry Potter musical way back in the day. Oh, yeah, they, yeah, the one that's like Snape, Snape, Snape. That's Snape. the one. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, and it's like Ron Weasley. <laughs> yeah, Ron we- that was like the first like video on YouTube. I feel. Yeah, it was early, <laughs> early YouTube, and and some of those guys branched off and created a thing called the Tin Can Brothers, and they produced the Wayward Guide for the Untrained Eye, and it's very up your guys' alley, I feel like, pun intended, because uh, it's a uh, Wayward Guide is like about, um, it's, it's kind of like a Wait, mystery. that was so dirty, I just thought about that, and I was like, what does he mean, pun intended, and then I was like, oh, alley, oh, alley. 
And then I was like, oh, that was a, kind of amazing, though. Wow. Well, you know, it was a kind of a two-parter, a, two, a two-pronged <laughs> pun. But um, it's it's kind of like um, these two investigative podcast kind of like NPR kids, which I play one of them. They're twin uh, brother and sister, even though we look nothing alike. And they go to investigate this small town um, kind of in no in the middle of nowhere and find sort of like a potential supernatural thing happening and uh it's very spooky and there's some really kind of scary moments and uh i love it's really exciting i don't want to spoil too much but there's an implication that there's werewolves (gasps) involved in some way oh yeah i'm totally invested so this is on youtube or it's on youtube platform yeah it's on youtube it's on the tin can brothers youtube channel and the hope is is that you know, maybe it uh, gets seen by enough people and loved by enough people that it gets to continue on into other iterations and other seasons and stuff like that. Awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we'll definitely check it out. Yeah, check it out. So it's the, can you say the name again? One the more time for Wayward Guide for the Untrained Eye. Or you just call it Wayward Guide. Which is what we okay. kind of call it. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, I saw I that, that you guys went and watched it at like a drive-in theater or something. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, they, we had, they premiered the first four episodes at a drive-in event and a bunch of their patrons and fans uh, got to got to come along and then all the cast and crew were there and it was kind of bittersweet because it was like, these are people, we shot this thing like three years ago. Oh, wow. And, and so, yeah, it's really a huge gap of time. And I haven't seen a lot of these people in literally that amount of time. And then we go to this like premiere event that was supposed to be at like a theater. And it was supposed to, we were all supposed to be together and dressed up all mm-hmm. fancy and hugging and, you know, having all those moments. And instead we're just right. like in little cars right. in a drive-in. And it was like, you know, important because we're in a pandemic, but bittersweet because it's like i just want to i just want to hug my friends right i know it's so weird i can't and now whenever i watch like tv shows or like anything where people are shaking hands and hugging i'm like i can't even imagine doing that anymore it feels like a million years ago right okay so this is kind of a tangent but like i'd love your guys opinion on this so all this weekend i've been like super sick throwing up because i ate something bad and at first i was like maybe i have covid and then i was like no like this is just like vomiting up all of my fluids to the point where like i literally had to get a prescription for this nausea medicine to like make it stop yeah it was crazy and then at one point yesterday i was texting Alyssa because i i literally was just like done i was like i'm ready to die at this point like i don't care about fucking anything right just let me die (laughs) and i was thinking like because i i was wanted like in a normal situation i would have gone to the hospital and gotten an id but i didn't want to go because covid and it's like very sketch and then i was thinking about it i was like can i just amazon myself like needles (laughs) needles <laughs> no Natalia no and then like watch a YouTube video no. and I was no like, I know I know technically you're not supposed to like I'm sure it's against the rules I'm sure it's like illegal or something but like technically if you were 
and so desperate <laughs> would you do that and i was thinking about it i was like there's got to be some youtube videos out there like, i'm you can literally sure. learn oh, yeah. anything well okay yeah. i i then- went to a bachelorette party a couple years ago that was for a nurse practitioner and all of her friends are nurses doctors and nurse practitioners and literally one of the girls brought iv bags and needles to vegas because she's like certified to do this and so girls that were really dehydrated she would literally hook them up in the morning to ivs and then Whoa. they feel like it's yes. better. But see, I was too sketched out. I was person, like, Mm-mm. that person who was a nurse practitioner at one point was not a nurse <laughs> practitioner and had to do their yeah, first IV on that's someone. That's true. Yeah. And like, what what could be the difference between that and like me, a person who just self educates themselves? I mean, I'm gonna I mean, say you- several years of like <laughs> medical school. <laughs> 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 and being told you're doing it wrong and right, having right. someone say, here's how you do it right. Yeah. But, like, yeah. do you trust anybody enough to, like, no. administer an IV needle into your arm Look, that isn't a doctor? I mean, I've had a lot of IVs in my life for my myriad of medical issues, but sure. I would never... I know something about like when you're in a clinic or a hospital setting, there's something that feels like a maybe it's a false sense of security, but it feels like the odds of something bad happening are way lower. Because if there's a complication, there's someone down the hallway that can like run and help you. Whereas in Vegas, like I get that it's someone with the same credentials, but in Ve- I don't want I don't know, like in a Vegas hotel room, it just feels like skeezy, like I'm doing something <laughs> yeah. wrong. Yeah. There's yeah. like literally places they're not open now, but there's like places in West Hollywood that you can just go and like get an IV. Yeah, put those in, detox like places. Yeah, just like, yeah, like an afternoon thing. Yeah, I don't know. Well, well even in Vegas, they had you the, guys, the oxygen. Would you guys things. do it to yourself? No, no. I'm I mean, such a pussy. I guess, if I, no. <laughs> I, I guess if I absolutely had to. Like, if we were in some apocalyptic scenario, yeah. maybe. Are we not? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, we're not at the, we're not at the, like. The peak. We're not at the peak. Like, we're not at, like, right. we can't get medical help if we right. need it. If there was a That's situation true. where, like, I knew I couldn't get medical help, I was mm-hmm. far away from it, and someone was like, I've got an IV, and it'll right. help you, I'd be like, what do I have to lose at this point? Right. But yeah, it's funny that voice. you mentioned that, though, because it's like <laughs> everything's DIY now, right? Like you can look up a YouTube video on how to do anything. So it's right. like, Literally why anything. not yeah. how to put an IV in if you need it? Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. We have this term on our show called Liam Neesoning. Well, we have two. We have Nick Caging and then Liam Neesoning. <laughs> okay. And Liam Neesoning is where... You literally, like, everything's fucked up, and you make a plan, and then you execute it, and then that's, like, how you get out of the situation. Yeah. Liam Neeson. And Nick Caging is where you have all the information, and you have a plan, and then you execute it. So Liam Neesoning is, like, the stronger of the two because everything's fucked up, and you have to, like, literally, like, you know, connect the dots and, like, make a radius and, like, listen to shit. And then Nick Caging is, like, you're the expert on the subject, so, yeah, I feel like uh, in that situation, that's like a Liam Neeson situation. Yeah, like, that is a Liam give Neeson. yourself a fucking IV. Oh, Liam Neeson and, like, would absolutely. He would give himself an IV and then he would just roundhouse kick 12 random people in the face that happened to be nearby. <laughs> like, where is And then he'd right, be like, like not... lifting weights. Yes, too, exactly. With the IV in his yeah, arm. fuck everyone. <laughs> like, like smoking a cigarette. Someone's yeah. there. They're like, they're like, I'm a doctor. I'm trying to give you an IV. And then he just punches them in the face. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I'll do it myself. Yeah. You're doing it wrong. Yeah. 
Whereas Nick yeah. Cage is more like he finds a map on the back of the Declaration of Independence that teaches him how to do the IV. Like that's the right, difference right, right. between the two. Yeah. Liam Neeson doesn't need right. instructions. Like, no, no, no. Well, we know this. Yes. Yeah. We know this <laughs> He's proven Liam himself Neeson. time and time again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, Steve, we eventually. Oh, go ahead, Natalia. Oh, go ahead. Oh, this is stupid. I was just going to say, eventually one day, like, we need to have either Liam Neeson or Nick Cage on the podcast. Oh, but my God. <laughs> yes. That you would have be to. a dream. That would you absolutely be a dream. I think if enough people. They're not people, doing anything. No, right they now. can't be. I feel like if enough people <laughs> just. Well, let's not. I don't want to advocate for harassment, so never mind. But like, if enough people <laughs> politely tweeted them yes, at like yes. a reasonable, right. like don't be scary. If enough people like politely tweeted at them and were like, "Hey, these two girls like really like you guys and your work, and right. would love to have yeah. you on their show." I mean, maybe we can make it happen. You never know. Who? I think you can make it happen. They're not doing anything. We'll present we're in a them pandemic. With an award. Yes. Oh. We have to. We have to present them with an award. Like we'll call their manager or something and be like, "We have the LGH." <laughs> Whoa, that's really smart. Yeah, Yeah, we want to present it to you on this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That That would be good. good. Okay. Well, now the cat's out of the Yeah, we're going to execute that plan. We are going to Liam Neeson this plan into action (laughs) to get him on the show. You're going to use a Liam Neeson to get Liam Neeson. I mean, how else else can you get a Liam Neeson? That's the only thing. Yeah, you can't. Well, Steve, for episode 69. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yes! amazing. Amazing. Yes. And we, then you get Nick Cage on episode 420. Yes. Okay. Oh, th- yes. Wow. Yes. <laughs> that, and then episode 666, we get them both on. Whoa. Whoa. And then, I don't wow. know, something will happen. Like the stars will align. Wait, episode right. 666 has to be a seance with Liam Neeson and Nick Cage. Oh. oh. Yes. Yes. Wow, that's so powerful. I think the world might end if we successfully got that <laughs> together. I think it might need to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's time. It's time. Well, speaking of seances, Steve, we always like to ask our guests a series of questions before we get into the story at hand to just kind of see like what the baseline is for you in terms of paranormal beliefs. Like, so for example, like speaking of seances, do you believe in seances like not that they occur because we know that like people do seances but you ever participate yeah or do you think that like they they do you think they're bullshit or do you think that there's something behind that it's it's a hard it's a hard question to answer because it's like i i i've never i've never been in a in a seance and um i've seen it in plenty of movies and tv shows and um i've never really heard anybody in my real life say that they did a seance and something legitimately insanely supernatural happened. And so in my heart of hearts, I would love for paranormal things to be real. I want there to be ghosts. I want seances to work. I want there to be like ways to use magic and all of these cool things. But I just don't know if, if, if like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Right. I, d- I just mm. don't know. I want it to. But then I've been told by people who are like, they know it exists and they believe in it. I've been told by people like that to to not like want it to be real because then it will be real and come to you. Right. Mm. Yeah. Law of attraction yeah. type of shit. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. And it's like, right. um, 
I don't know, because I grew up like a Catholic boy, so I've always been like afraid. I'm an ex-Catholic at this point, but I grew up a Catholic boy, and I remember exorcisms and like the devil and hell and all those things were all these kind of like very real things that you were being told are actually real. And right. so I remember thinking like, well, shit, if, it, if exorcisms and the devil possessing you is real, then, like, I guess I better prepare myself for that. But in, in Catholicism, it's like you don't get possessed by a demon if you, like, believe in God and if you're a good Catholic. You only right. get possessed by a demon if you don't believe in God right. and you're not a good Catholic. It's like a punishment. Right, yeah, right. right. And so and, and and all of that kind of scarred me into my adult life about like what I should believe in and what what is real and what isn't real and how all these things were based off of punishments and shit. Yeah. And it's like I don't I don't really I just don't know. Like I'm just I'm hearing so many different things about like if you talk about it and you want to see a ghost and you want demons and shit to be real, then like you're inviting it into into your life and then it, it will exist. But then I'm right. being told that like, but if you believe in God or something, <laughs> you'll be protected magically by all of these demonic things. And so I don't know. I'm just like I, I, I'm on the fence. Right. Yeah. No, that's a good point. We had um, James DeAngelis on the podcast last year, yeah. who, who's very Christian and definitely believes in um, certain aspects of like what we might consider the paranormal. But he was like, no, to me, you know, religion and the paranormal are two very separate things. And that was very interesting to me because in my I don't really see the difference. Like if you know, mm. if you have I don't either. Yeah. If you have an experience where you see a ghost, what is the difference between a ghost and an angel? You know what I mean? Like, I don't right. I don't really right. see the difference. So that. Yeah, right. I, I don't know. Natalia, what do you think? That is interesting. Well, I so I grew up in a religious family and yeah, I definitely think that like it being re very real and especially having gone to like uh, basically Catholic school. It, like it's fucking scary when you think you know when you're like a 14 year old who's like <laughs> yeah. bre breaking the rules and you know kind of rebelling from society in general like I was like a little punk 14 year old or I thought I was then it's scary to think like okay I'm going to hell because I like shop at heart hot topic you know? <laughs> right. and so it can like when it is that real it is I think like a natural reaction to just totally reject it which I did for a long time. I was like, I don't believe in any of this. I don't believe in God. I don't believe, like, what is the likelihood that there's, like, a dude in the sky? You know, like, I didn't believe in anything because I was just, like, became too cool for it. But now as an adult, I think because I allow, allow myself to get haunted, like, I allow myself to, like, get scared. And it's such a part of um, my life now because of Let's Get Haunted. I do find that be when I am scared, whether or not there is a God that's like really listening, if I do pray or like go through the motions of it, I do feel like a sense of security because I'm like, you know what? There's probably nothing, but like why? Like just to be fucking safe right now and to like calm my anxiety. If we do believe that, if there was demons or there's like an old witch trying to curse me or whatever, <laughs> or something under and, your bed yeah, or whatever. Yeah, or, like, someone trying to, like, astral project into my sure. room and, like, spy on me or some weird shit. If I really do, like, believe that there's some force out there, another supernatural force that's, like, omnipotent and just good to protect me, then, like, all you know, it's, like, to me, they're on the same level. Like, if I'm scared of the ghost right now, 
then that also means that if the ghost is real, then, like, it's, you know, kryptonite is real, which is, like, this white light or whatever you want to call it. Sure. So I do, I do find myself going through the motions more now, like, in a weird way, like, talking about the devil and talking about, like, haunted shit and murders and, like, <laughs> things that, like, you're not supposed to talk about, especially if you are a religious person, has, like, brought me closer to God <laughs> in its own way, I feel like. Yeah, yeah, it's very strange. Especially if you're, yeah. like, living in it, right? Yeah. If you're, if you're like, right. constantly, like, watching scary shit and reading scary shit. And you're, you're like, we don't know what will work or what won't work. Right. And, like, yeah. for all we know, truly praying, whether it's to God or just to some kind of thing to protect you, like, mm-hmm. for all we know, that actually works and keeps right. demons away and shit. We don't know. Right. And and so, like, why not? So, like, if you're saying a little something helps you, then fuck yeah. You know, more power to you. We had a scientist on the show a couple episodes ago who worked with the CIA on the top secret Stargate project, which was where the government was testing clairvoyance um, and and whether or not we can harness that power and use it in war. And what? yeah, it, this is yes, real. this is this is like I like I already happened. have the chills. Let me I'll just like tell you uh, our listeners that have uh, already listened to that episode. You already know. But let me recap it for people who maybe are t- tuning in for the first time. So his name is Dean Radin and he worked on Project Stargate and his whole purpose there was he was a scientist who had worked like for just his like his resume is insane like he worked at like bell laboratory like he worked like all of like harvard um and they brought they brought him in as a visiting scientist to observe these experiments that they were conducting on people who claim to have clairvoyance which is basically where you can use your third eye or psychic eye to see into places that you don't physically have to go into and the russians were already studying this and so the u.s was like man we got to catch up like we got if the russians are studying this and like they were pouring so much money into it in russia and they were like you know on the off chance it's real we also have to pour money into it so and he said that like that those experiments convinced him that like clairvoyance is real because there were people who they would write down a code word a random code word Mm -hmm. and put it in a safe inside an envelope in a safe and they're like people would be in a different room the clairvoyance would be in a different room and they would have to you know use their psychic eye to get into that safe and read that code word and he said people were doing it what yes like for real for real for real he was like and he's like a very respected scientist and he was like honestly those experiments he was like kind of changed my life because it made me realize that the philosophy of science is really important and people need to be studying it more because science we think of as like black and white like real and fake but there's so much shit that we just don't understand and he's like you know he's like i'm not saying you know it's magic i'm saying that like this is something that like people can do and we don't know why and we need to be studying it more right and he was also saying that like he was doing this study on with random number generators where he would get like people in a in a room that would meditate and random number generators by their very nature are random Right. Like, but he found that when people were in a room meditating, um, they could actually influence the random number generators to like become uh, coherent. So like instead of random numbers, it would create a pattern, which is statistically impossible. And so now they're Harvard is funding these different studies called the egg studies, which look at these random number generators all around the world and 
what they've found is when we as a society are all on the same page, these random number generators are affected and and the numbers become more coherent. And so they don't know what that means, but you know, it's sort of Whoa. like kind of sort of brings maybe some like legitimacy to miracles or prayer because if we're all if a group of us are all on the same page, all praying about mm -hmm. something or all thinking the same thing, like these number generators are affected. Now we don't know what that means, but it's affecting the physical world. Like our thoughts are affecting right. the physical world. Holy shit. And there's just Isn't so little crazy? we know. Like in 10 years we'll be like, well, we figured out how to use the parts of our brain where we could like communicate with people who have died already. Yeah. Or like, yeah. you know, like, like right. read people's minds and shit, like tel telepathic communication. It's insane. And shit. Exactly. Wow. Where does that, does, does he have any books or anything? Has he oh. written any books about it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He actually is now because of all of these exper experiments he's been a part of, he now is like a very niche scientist in something called psi phenomena. So he now has dedicated the later part of his career into just studying these phenomena and yeah he has several wow. books out he's got these peer-reviewed you know research papers he's part of these big like research communities of scientists that are looking into these phenomena it's really interesting i i am like fascinated i want i want to live in that yeah that's right. crazy right but basically if that can be you know that's like scientifically it's been proven that you know there are these people who can affect random number generators with their minds then that like just opens up i feel like people who may not be sure about the paranormal like if you can just like have an yeah. open mind that there's things that we don't understand yeah then yeah it's also going to make your life more complicated you're yeah. gonna be, like having nightmares at night <laughs> right, and, like, right. <laughs> doing weird shit like lighting candles on a full moon yeah you know, but, or, or dedicating hey, parts of your life to things that are, that might hinder other aspects of your life and keep you from experiencing more things right and, you know, yeah. but I don't know. We're just, I feel like we're in such an infancy of, of this type of research. Oh, because totally. Yeah. It's ridiculous to, to like, who's going to throw money at like hunches into supernatural shit. You know, it's like, no, we have real world things we need to like, you know, real world things that we need to solve. There's a, like a long list of things that we need to put money and research into, but like there's an entire world we don't understand there's an totally. entire universe we don't understand i love that there's people that are like digging into it and doing something they're mu like it may it comforts me that there's yeah. people that are dedicating their lives to figure yeah. this shit out oh absolutely well, that's that. the craziest thing about what dean Raiden was telling us is that like even though proven the u.s military did all these experiments on the psi phenomenon and like found out that there are people who are talented in ways that we can't understand like it ended there because they couldn't find a way to use it for the military purposes. They were like, we, there's like this information oh, exists, but there's like, what, what do we do with this? Like, God there's not really yeah. like a way to, you know, which, make this which because well, you get high up enough. Yeah. You get the people that are like, our priorities are in money and military and power. Like mm -hmm. if, if I can't get any of that from this supernatural research, then who gives a shit? And those, yeah, those people right. suck. It's like, if you can't, yeah. if you can't weaponize it, it's no good is basically right. what the government had said. And that's why they shut down those experiments. It wasn't because they wow. weren't successful. It's because there was no way to weaponize it. Right. Yeah. But they're it, like, give it to me straight, doc. Is there a way we can like weaponize this, use this in war? And they're like, probably not. And they're like, all right, well you're shut down. Exactly. You're done. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah, I agree. Damn. But I guess it is kind of 
comforting in a way to know that we can't weaponize it because that would be scary yeah. to me like if there's just people that can blow me up with their mind and there's nothing <laughs> right. i can do about it right like, or like they can read your mind yeah, like that's oh, crazy i know like imagine if they were like you know mind right, control right mind control exactly which is kind of already like hypnotism and things like that kind of work that right. way in a lot of ways like what if the people who were working on that experiment were like just mind controlled everyone to say that they should stop like funding the experiment? Right, yeah. right. Because right. those could be the same people that are like mind controlling to like uh, get people like Trump elected and shit like that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Mind control is totally could be weaponized. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Well, and so he was actually kind of talking about about. Um, the 2016 election when we interviewed him and he was saying that he ran a random number generator experiment um, during the election because he thought you know what this is going to produce a globe no matter the result this is going to produce a global response that might affect the random number generator and he said it absolutely did like as soon as it was announced that Trump had won it was like the numbers became super super coherent because everyone around the globe was like what the fuck like nobody even the people who voted for him like nobody yeah. thought he yeah. was gonna win no even the people who voted <laughs> Literally, well i'm holy shit yeah and so he well it's also like when 9-11 happened the random number generators went off like when the tsunami in 2005 happened no it went shit. off when yeah. katrina happened so basically when everyone is focusing on this one event i don't even think they need to be like agreeing on it i think it's just like focused like whatever the news is on he said that those random number generators all over the world would go off I mean, I you know, maybe this explains why there's just so many fucking people that don't understand basic empathy and love <laughs> and, res and like respect. It's because they're being hypnotized to be like, nah, you don't need that shit. Or like they're being mind controlled right. to not want that yeah. shit. I mean, like what knows? if the powerful people have access to that? power or something you know it's possible well and that's ah, i don't like yeah. it i know i know it's like you spiral right like once it's once you open up the door to like maybe some of this psi phenomena which maybe we would classify as paranormal is real it's like where does it end and so you can spiral right. super fast like okay well if that's real then what if this is real and what if that's real right. and yeah so i think that's ugh. really our that's really our mission here yeah. at let's get haunted if we can educate enough of the world about paranormal then paranormal will become real yeah. i want it undoubtedly. paranormal is the new normal right yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh my god what an awesome tagline damn it That's why amazing. didn't we come up with that you can take it it's yours it's yours so i'm gonna i just want to be behind you guys while you do all yeah. this good work i'm in i'm in oh yeah well i don't know if we're doing good or if we're doing bad but i'm gonna i'm gonna go down the rest of this list steve real fast rapid fire so okay do you believe in ghosts you're you're not sure but maybe you're leaning towards no on the fence on the fence on the fence okay what yeah. about curses like we talked about the kennedy curse on this show like curse blood lines cursed mm. uh, objects cursed treasure do you believe that that sort of thing is possible like bad energy um i mean i my family as rapid fire as i can my family goes far back into mexico like old school mexico mexican history and i've heard stories in my family about like mexican curses and like uh, aztec curses and Love things like that. that and uh my my fam some of my family members swear that their their relatives that have died or or like have streaks of bad luck are all due to like 
ancient Aztec Ooh. curses. So right. yeah, yeah, sure. I believe, I believe that. Oh, that's so interesting. I love that. Well, what about like, um, we kind of touched on this, but the afterlife, like, do you think there's anything after we die or do you think it's just lights out like blackness? There's no right answer to any of these. None of us know. I mean, I want there to be something so badly, but it's likely it just kind of ends and we're just, you know, cause like what, what was happening to us before we were born? Like I, I like, where was our consciousness before we were born? And it's like, some people say it was part of a huge energy thing and it was all being dispersed to people when they're born or whatever. But to me, it's like the most likely thing is that if there's no activity in your brain, you're just done for, right? Right. But a lot of people don't think your brain is who you are. A lot of people think your soul is who you are. And so, I don't know. I'd like to think there's something, but very likely it just kind of ends, I bet. Do you think that reincarnation is a possibility, or do you think that's more of like a, a religious belief? I think it's a possibility because I think when you talk about energies and people being connected and, and uh, how the synapses in our brain are very electrical energy based type things, it seems like if you, if you're able to put work into how to channel your consciousness into something else, then maybe you can utilize those skills to be reincarnated. But the fact that having it happen automatically, I don't know if I believe in that. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, what yeah. about um, where do you draw the line with conspiracy theories? Because I think we can all agree that some conspiracy theories like MK Ultra, turned out to be real. Right. Then other yeah. conspiracy theories like, um, you know, we recently talked about this on our show. Like we're never going to talk about the lizard people Illuminati theory because that's actually just like anti-Semitism reincarnated right. as a conspiracy theory. So where, right. where do you draw the line with with what you believe in in terms of conspiracies? I mean, I'm open to everything and and I'm kind of, that's kind of like my whole thing is I'm open to everything. And if you, I mean, everything you explained to me about this, this doctor, the scientist that you had on like that guy, I could probably have a conversation with that guy. And then my entire outlook on life can be changed in that conversation. Right. Like if something is convincing enough and makes sense with my experiences and my belief systems and things that I've experienced in my life, then I could be pretty on board with a lot of things. Like if someone was like, here's the thing about reptilians and let me connect all of this shit and let me show you, I'd be like, okay. But I mean, <laughs> you're right. It's yeah. based in, in like a lot of anti-Semitic shit. And it's like, eh, I don't know about that. You're That's... willing to take the ride though. I'm willing like, to take you'll... the ride. Good. I'll take yeah. the ride. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Good. That's all we can ask of any of our guests on this show. And then the last question I have for you before we get into today's episode is, do you believe in witches, black magic, white magic, magic in general? What do you think about that? Witchcraft? I think, I, 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 again, I think it, it would be awesome. Um, and... I think if it really existed, the people that had it would probably work really hard to keep a lid on it and make sure that not it doesn't fall into the wrong hands. I think I'm on the fence. I'm on the fence. Magic could be anything, though, right? Like right, magic could be like when fortuitous things happen to you mm -hmm. amidst right. unfortuitous situations. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I guess I believe in magic to a degree. How much science is involved in that? 
is is uh is kind of up in the air for me but witches and stuff it would be cool I, I guess it, it, would, it would be, be cool. cool. It would be yeah. really cool if it was real. <laughs> yeah, it would be really cool. I want it to be real. Uh, yeah. Right. right. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Well. And enough of us, if enough of us want it, then it becomes Yeah, real. I'm into that. Yeah. Yeah. Then I'll join that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll well, sign the petition. Well, I'm about <laughs> to tell you guys a story that may or may not involve some of the topics that we've touched upon in this intro. So all I'm going to ask Whoa. is that you guys keep an open mind and our listeners keep an open mind. Listen to the story, suspending your disbelief. And then at the end, let's talk about what we think actually happened here. Okay. 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 So... Today's story takes place in England, and I just want to say to all of our English listeners that we love so much on this show, what the fuck is up with the way that you guys name your cities and the places? Because in the U.S. Is there a cock in this name? Are you telling me it's just going to be cock something? <laughs> it's, this, this drives me crazy. Like, okay, maybe it's because I'm American and we're like a very simple folk. Like, we have cities states and that's basically it like yes we have counties but nobody gives a fuck about counties and the way that the english name their places is so it's so confusing to me it'll be like a paragraph and it's just like one place so (laughs) like so let me let me just say like where this story takes place like take this for example this story takes place in Hagley Wood, Hagley, estate of Hagley Hall of Lord Cobham in Worcestershire, England, near the Witchbury Hill. What does any of that mean? That's near like you Witchbury could type that. <laughs> you could type that into Waze, and it would be like, "Go this way." Yeah. like it would know exactly what you're talking about. Exactly, but like what just the- saying that, I'm like, it took it took me like an hour to figure this out, which maybe I shouldn't admit, but I was like reading this story, and the I guess the place like isn't even that important, but I was just so stuck on it that I was like, no, I am gonna figure out what this means. So I'm just yeah, imagining the way that they name it is like w- back in the old days when you used to have to give directions to like a knight or something like that and they would be like right right from? and then he'd be like hagsbury and then he's like of which shire and he's like yeah, hagsbury yeah. shire and then he's like of yeah. what family the hagsbury family and then he's like yeah near Son what of hills this. Yeah. you know yeah. so yeah <laughs> no, right right that's that's a good point natalia that's probably what it is but if you're a simpleton like me the way that you might think about locations is like start big and get smaller so like country then state then city that's how i think of things so i'm gonna attempt to break down this location before we get into it so this story takes place in the united kingdom specifically in the country of england all of england is divided into 48 ceremonial counties and today's story takes place in the ceremonial county of worcestershire which is basically in the middle west side of the country next to wales and Hagley Hagley Wood is a private forest located on an estate called the Hagley Estate that is within Worcestershire okay so that's where this story takes place a private forest a private forest (laughs) I know very exclusive so that's where today's story takes place in that private forest okay okay so on April 18th 1943 Four local boys went hunting for bird nests in the Hagley Wood and came upon a witch elm tree. Do either of you know what a witch elm tree is? 
What is no. this story? Like, what the fuck is this already? The first sentence is four boys went searching through a private forest for bird's, for bird's nest. nest. Yes. Well, you never Next go looking for bird's nest. That's okay. That's what I mean. It's like, what are the English even doing ever? Listen, in the 40s, there was no internet. There was no, there weren't cars. Well, maybe there were cars. There, were but there weren't cars. like cars like us. <laughs> there weren't cars like we have. In the 40s in England. So like, you know, for fun, you'd go find bird nests yeah okay yeah that's that's basically (laughs) they were looking for bird eggs apparently like Like, it's called poaching they were on this private forest that they weren't supposed to be in looking for Mm. birds eggs to take home okay okay so but neither neither of you have ever heard of a witch elm tree right no okay so i just sent you guys a photo in our group chat and since we're an audio only podcast i'd like steve our guest to describe what this tree looks like Oh my god. <laughs> it looks first of all it looks terrifying somehow. <laughs> it looks like it's so many like it's just branches and it's they're coming out from every direction almost like like a like a hedgehog in yeah. some way. It looks like a chode of a tree. Yeah. Like it's like short and fat and right. all of the roots are just like the tr- there's no difference between the roots and the, like it looks haunted as fuck too. It's like someone pulled a tree out of the ground and then stuck it in upside, upside down. down. Right. Yeah. And then all the roots were sticking out. Yeah. yeah. This if, is a if, fucked up tree. If trees had bad vibes, this tree would have the worst. Yes. Vibes. 100%. Yes. Okay. Yes. So and this picture I sent you is actually the picture of the tree in this story. So it's not just like a random witch elm tree. It is the witch elm tree from this story. Wow. Why is it so creepy? Why is the photo alone creepy? It's it's horrible. It's horrible vibes. And we're going to post this to our Instagram account when the photo dump for this episode goes live. So if you're listening to this, go to our Instagram at Let's Get Haunted. You can see all the pictures we talk about today. And the name of these four boys who came upon the Switch Elm were Robert Hart, Thomas Willits, Bob Farmer, and Fred Payne. But to understand this story, we have to talk a little bit about 1940s English history. Do you guys want to guess what 1940s England was like or what was going on in history in England around that time? Bad times for everyone. Uh... <laughs> I, 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 was it bad times? It's World War II. Oh, right, 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 right. Oh, my goodness. Let me go back to school really quick, and then I'll be right back. We've yeah. done this so many times that I know when all the bad times of history are. So, like, yeah. Right, right. Okay. And I've been watching Doctor Who a lot, too, and they go back to 1940s England a lot. Okay. And so... Yeah, you're right. You're right. Bad times. Yeah, bad times. Ugly fashion. Like women have to wear (laughs) these skirts that are like hard to walk in and everything's made of scratchy Mm -hmm. wool. Yeah. yeah, definitely. So like you said, Natalia, when we think of 1940s England, we think of World War II, right? And Hitler's yeah. rule in Germany lasted from when he was appointed chancellor in 1933 to when he died by suicide in April of 1945. So that time period, we're in 1940s England. This is like the peak of World War II. Yeah. And yeah. I'm going to read you guys this paragraph from history.com that really kind of explains succinctly much better than I ever could about what 1940 was like. On April 9th, 1940, Germany Germany simultaneously invaded Norway and occupied Denmark, and World War II began in earnest. On May 10th, 1940, German forces swept through Belgium and the Netherlands in what became known as the Blitzkrieg, or Lightning War. 
Three days later, Hitler's troops crossed the Meuse River and struck French forces at Sedan, which put France on the verge of collapse. Italy's fascist dictator Benito Mussolini had to form an alliance with Hitler, and Italy declared war on France and Britain on June 10, 1940. In June of 1940, German forces entered Paris, took over half the country, and then Hitler turned his attention to Britain. German planes bombed Britain extensively, beginning in September of 1940 until May of 1941. This became known as the Blitz and included night raids on London and other industrial centers that caused heavy civilian casualties and damage. More than 20,000 Londoners lost their lives and over a million buildings were destroyed or seriously damaged in the ensuing German attacks. The bombings occurred from September 1940 to May 1941, with 57 consecutive days and nights of bombings. Residents found shelter Jesus. wherever they could Oof. find it, with the underground stations a popular destination. And World War II would not end until 1945, and even when it did end, London was left a broken city. So we're talking about just constant bombings and um, particularly in london but you know all mm -hmm. throughout britain germany was had set its sights on england and was like trying with all of its might to take it over so yeah when i think of that time period i just think of like yeah right the like hearing the sirens and yeah and then you and had the to sirens. you had to have blackout curtains at night to like make the cities all look dark so it'd be harder to bomb. i mean like what a fucking terrifying time to be alive terrifying totally terrifying. Yeah. and a terrifying time to be a young child and right. i just sent you guys two pictures so maybe hunting for bird's nest was like yes <laughs> yeah it was therapy yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're right getting out into nature into the countryside you know maybe that was kind of all there was and so i just sent you guys two pictures um that are really popular historic photos of england in 1940 and 1941 during the blitz wow so um Look at that. if you guys can you know, after seeing these photos and hearing this short historical summary, first, can you describe the photos I've sent to you? And then can you maybe characterize what you think life would be like in the early 1940s if you were a British person? Well, it certainly looks miserable. Yeah. <laughs> it looks it looks like everything's in ruins yeah. and we're seeing children sitting on rubble and like destroyed buildings, possibly their homes, their neighborhoods, their the shops they would go to probably. And it right. just looks like it was devastated mm -hmm. by terrible shit. And this one photo you sent has like a little boy sitting on rubble and he's got a big coat on. So I like, I always know that England is cold as fuck for some reason. Cause it's just like, you always see pictures of it and everyone has big hats on and stuff. So I'm right. assuming this is like a cold time too. And not having like shelter would probably be pretty miserable. And he's also got some sort of like his toy. He's got a stuffed animal, but it, it looks just like a sad stuffed animal. Like it's not yeah. a real animal. I can't tell. It looks, it's not a dog. It has like no face, but it has legs. I don't know. It just seems like a time where like imagination and like the wonderment of childhood and things like that were not really fostered, especially not in this environment. I'm sure you just kind of grew up and you were told this is the way things are. You probably had rations for food. You probably had like a strict curfew during wartime and yeah i bet there was all kinds of like soup lines and things like that happening for people who had, had uh their homes you know destroyed so yeah i think that this time being a the life of an english person too well was that saying keep calm and carry on was that from world war ii because i know that came out of england right 
I'm not sure. That's a good. Let me Google that real quick. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure as well. Uh, well, I, you know, I, the English, I think, have always been a little bit more composed in general than Americans. So you're, you're right, Natalia. I kind of feel like. Keep Calm and Carry yeah. On um, was produced by the British government as a motivational poster in 1939 in preparation for World War II. Right. Wow. So if you're surrounded, you're you're not you're in Europe, you're surrounded by all this blitzkrieg, this rapid fire and like, you know, violent war all around you. And there's not really anything you can do about it because it's so close to you. Like, you know, here in America, we we're very lucky that when stuff is going down in Europe, like we feel very far away from it. And in that situation, if Germany is being a dick, like what are you going to do about it? They're like right next to you, you know? Right. And who's going to help you and, and all of that. Yeah. Right. yeah. It's probably and a very stressful, just a very, yeah, like a stressful time. Absolutely. Right. And to your point, Steve, this, you know, who's going to help you? This was before the U.S. got involved. So England was asking for our help, but we were trying to remain, our government was trying to remain neutral at the beginning of World War II. And so, yeah, they were sort of on their own, you know. So mm -hmm. I want you guys to keep that in mind as we get into um, the meat of this story. So like I said, we've got four local boys named Robert Hart, Thomas Willits, Bob Farmer, and Fred Payne. They go hunting for bird nests in the Hagley Wood and come upon that creepy as fuck looking witch elm tree. <laughs> so upon seeing the witch elm, the boys thought that it would be a good place to hunt for bird nests. And 15-year-old Bob Farmer climbed up the tree to see if he could find any. As Farmer climbed, he glanced down into the hollow trunk of the tree, and much to his shock and horror, instead of finding a bird's nest, he uncovered what would be the start of one of England's most grisly unsolved mysteries. Inside the hollow opening in the tree trunk, wedged tightly inside, Farmer spotted what he thought was an animal skull. He picked it up to examine it. Attached to the skull was unmistakably tufts of rotting flesh with human hair and teeth, and Farmer realized that he was holding the skull of a woman. He yelled oh down God. in terror to his friends, who all screamed at him to put the skull back in the tree trunk. Later, Farmer would say of the skull, there was a small patch of rotting flesh on the forehead with lank hair dangling from it. Oh, my God. Since the boys were technically trespassing on private property, they made a pact to never discuss the incident again. So Farmer threw the skull back wow. into the tree trunk and all four boys ran home without mentioning their discovery to a single soul. Oh, my God. What a fucking different breed. I would be, like, immediately <laughs> tweeting, like, oh, my right. God, guys. I just fucking touched a human skull. What the right. fuck? You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. So In, so that thing is hollow. Yes. That tree is hollow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's alive. It's not dead. It just is hollow on the inside. So wow. this person with this secret forest, I'm assuming, is, like, up to some, like, murder stuff. and then Right. That's Hiding weird. a body in there. And that's yeah. weird that they would choose to hide the body in that tree because that tree looks very hard to get into let alone drag a body in there so i'm wondering whoever did Good it point. did they put that woman in there and then kill her when she was in the tree that's a very good point, Natalia. These Whoa. are all really good points. So I want you guys to keep this in mind as we move forward. I don't forward. trust this tree. Why is it called a witch <laughs> elm? Yeah. Oh, we're going to talk about that too. Don't you worry. So upon returning home, the youngest boy in the group, Thomas Willits, felt sick to his stomach. He was overcome with guilt and fear and described feeling traumatized by what he had seen. 
Finally, he couldn't handle the weight of the secret any longer and confessed to his father what they had discovered in the Hagley Forest. Thomas Willett's father immediately alerted authorities who made the trek out to Hagley Wood that same day. They quickly located the witch elm tree and looked inside, finding exactly what young Thomas had described. Hair hung off the remaining flesh on the skull and two crooked teeth gaped out of the mouth, but the police found more than just a skull. Underneath the skull was the almost fully intact skeleton of a young woman with a shoe, a gold wedding ring, and some fragments of clothing. I Whoa. say almost intact because the skeleton was only missing one thing, one of the woman's hands. Further inspection of the area uncovered the missing hand, which was buried nearby the tree along with some more of the woman's clothing. The Why? body was sent for forensic examination by Professor James Webster. Webster was able to conclude that the body of the witch elm was that of a female who had been dead for at least 18 months, placing the time of death in or before October 1941. Webster also discovered a section of taffeta in her mouth, suggesting that she had died from suffocation after someone had gagged her with her own dress. From the measurement of the trunk in which the body had been discovered, he also deduced that she must have been placed in the tree trunk still warm after the killing, as she could not have fit once rigor mortis had taken hold. Webster's analysis also determined that the woman was between the ages of 35 and 40, that she had given birth to one child, she had brown hair, and that she stood at just five feet tall. The woman also had distinctive teeth on her lower jaw as they jutted outward and were crooked. So how, how are we feeling about this so far, this discovery? I mean, it sounds like a murder, you know? It sounds like a straight-up murder and then hiding a body, but, like, why the hell was the hand found somewhere else? And why were there clothes buried where the hand was? And that's yeah. weird. Right? It sounds... Because it's women, I feel, for some reason, I feel like it was a man that killed them. I don't know why. Yeah, yeah, I just feel especially like, back then. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, I'm trying to think of the hand thing, because if you were trying to cover up a murder, that you wouldn't put the hand somewhere away from where the body was. You would find this tree, and you're like, this is a good place to store things, and then you would just keep the hand there. So I don't know. I, 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 I that's really confusing to me. Why the hand would be somewhere else? I'm yeah. And also, like, why would there? Why would they put the body in a place that like could easily be discovered? You right. know, like burying a whole, a body in the ground is like well, the likelihood of someone digging into the ground in that exact spot is is it's less likely than someone say getting a high ground and looking into the tree that's and true. seeing like very obviously a body in there that's very true is this like part of a ritual like someone sacrificing these women's bodies and putting them in this tree oh. is this tree haunted like i'm really feeling like this tree is fucked up not only because it's named a witch's elm but just because the way it looks also yeah, that's good points, too. And also, you know, the fact that this woman was only five feet tall. I mean, you saw you guys saw the picture of that tree. That tree looks like a bitch to climb. Somebody yeah. killed yeah. this Scratches. woman and then had to have pretty much immediately kind of before rigor mortis took hold, 
thrown climbed up the tree carrying this woman's body and thrown her in there so i mean is this like a forest of giants and then this is just like a game to them like <laughs> it's like a mice and men like one it of them was the- <laughs> playing with a woman and accidentally killed her and then they're right. like oh Lenny. shit like get rid of her yeah and then they just like literally like alley-oop her into this little <laughs> bird's nest tree with the hollow thing these are all know. very good hypotheses so or was she yeah or like someone said earlier i forgot who said it but maybe maybe they whoever murdered that woman made her climb into it oh yes you know while she was still alive or that seems like the thing that would happen to me yeah yeah. and then oh it would be what's that movie where he's like he puts the lotion on the skin oh silence of the lambs yeah Yeah. it's like that like you're in this little hole right yeah I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very unsettling for sure. Very, very. Not down. Yeah, no, not down. Not good vibes. So (sighs) Professor Webster, the man who was conducting this postmortem examination on the woman, um, his findings make him certain that the death of this unknown woman was murder, stating, I cannot imagine a woman accidentally slipping in there. Neither do I think it reasonable for a woman to crawl into that place and commit suicide. Professor Webster also maintained that the victim would most likely have been killed close to the spot where she was found, otherwise the killer would not have been able to transport her body to the tree before rigor mortis set in. It was an excellent place for the concealment of a murder, he said, and I think it indicates local knowledge. News of the discovery quickly spread throughout all of England, but the woman remained unidentified. Police tried to run down leads of women who had been reported missing, but because of the war's high number of civilian casualties, thousands of women had been reported missing in 1941. And lacking modern technology, the police were overwhelmed and unable to match the unknown woman to any missing person. Because the woman's teeth were so distinctive, police started contacting dentists all over the country to see if anyone had worked on a patient with similar teeth. But none of these searches produced any leads either. Whoa. Obviously not. That's the stupidest idea ever. (laughs) Like, what? Like, every dentist is just going to fucking care enough to, like, go through every person they've ever worked on's records and figure it out? Right. No. Right. Like, I'm not getting paid for this. (laughs) And did they even keep detailed records like that? In the 1940s, right. Well, I I think the idea was that her, her dental structure was so unique that they were thinking if she had ever gone to a dentist, surely the dentist would remember off the top of his head like yeah right, right. I, I was cleaning the teeth a of a dentist yeah, yeah yeah maybe she didn't maybe she never even went that's yeah. true like, what i'm hearing is she's got fucked up teeth no one describes someone's teeth as unique like unless it's right. super fucked up unless so, it was unique yeah, right. yeah right <laughs> so she probably never went to the dentist that's a good point yeah, yeah. so maybe that was you know a doom dead end from the start because she yeah. would have never gone to yeah to get work done on her teeth otherwise they wouldn't have been fucked up So, you know, and I just want to say, like, as at the beginning, we were talking about, like, what Britain was like in the 1940s. You know, what a great time to commit a murder because you already have thousands of people that are missing, that have lost their lives due to these civilian bombings. The government and police are probably tied up with all of that stuff. Who's going to miss a little five foot woman? you know, who just happens to go missing. People might Ooh, assume. She was married and had a child though, right? So those are good. Yeah. So that's a good point, Natalia. So she did have a, a gold ring on her wedding finger and the postmortem examination determined that she had had at least one child. 
Yeah, I mean, so, I, she could lie. Like, I guess she wasn't married. But you would assume a mother who had a child and, like, at least the child would be like, where's my mom? Let me call Well, but cops. it could be – but because of, like – because we in these photos, it looks like there's just rubble and destruction everywhere. I'm sure people were – you know, right. lost and, and they probably never found some people, you yeah. know, because they're just buried under so much shit. So maybe like even this person's husband and child would just assume that she was like, you know, lost the same way all these other people were mm. under rubble or, you know, pulverized by a bomb or something. Right. You know, right. like maybe point. they had just they had just decided that she was just another casualty of the war. Yeah. That's and I mean, if we even think of like for the U.S., like Natalia pointed out, we're kind of lucky in that we very rarely have to fight wars on our own soil. So, I mean, just think of 9-11, which was so impactful because it brought, you know, war to our soil. You know, there are still people that died in the Twin Towers whose bodies we have never found. Right. So, and that's right. just one attack, you know, one plane. Not not to minimize, of course, like it was very traumatic and terrible any loss of life is horrible but i mean we're talking about daily bombings all throughout right. britain right. i mean the recovery process for that must be staggering right mm -hmm. uh, yeah right. that's a good point yeah. So the investigation then turned to the personal effects found at the scene because they'd hit a dead end trying to compare her to missing persons reports. They'd hit a dead end um, talking to these dentists. So now they they focus their efforts on looking at what the woman had on her when she was thrown into this tree. So the crepe sold shoes that she was wearing were traced to the Waterfoot Company in Lancashire, England, and investigators were able to talk to the owner of this particular company and track down every single person who had ever bought a pair of those crepe sold Whoa. shoes except for six pairs they could not account for six pairs of shoes which had been sold from a market stall in dudley a town approximately 11 miles from birmingham so they know that the woman had to be one of those six people who they can't account for but it's not like modern times where you swipe a credit card and there's a paper trail. I mean, right. that doesn't exist. There's no computers. There's no, you know, modern banking. There's no credit cards. Everyone's paying in cash. So they can't, mm -hmm. they know it had to have been purchased from this one stall in Birmingham, but they can't, they don't know who these six people are. So that's another I mean, dead you end. You can't just, you can't just go to that like stall and be like, hey, do you remember yeah. <laughs> selling six of these shoes? And do you remember who you sold? It's like, no way. Yeah, that, there's that's no like way. a total dead end. Exactly. Yeah. And, and you know, even though she was sort of unique looking, what if her husband had bought her the shoes? You know, what if a, right. what if they were a gift to her? So they, they try to investigate them? this. Yeah, what, what if she, she stole them? them? Yeah. So they try to investigate yeah. this lead because, I mean, God, that's like that's it's so close you know like six people that's not very many people but there was no way to figure out who those six people were this is like right. cinderella yeah right, right. yeah whose shoes are this yeah, yeah are these yeah, yeah. so <laughs> whose shoes yeah, is this yeah. so, who belong who yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah the the police sergeant's just like walking through the town holding this crepe sold shoe going whose shoe whose shoe fit this yeah door to door. Whose shoe? <laughs> yeah i'll have a shoe 
So the murder investigation, because the police are hitting all these dead ends, naturally the press get really interested in this sort of murder mystery. Everyone loves a good murder mystery. doesn't matter if it's the 1940s, doesn't matter if it's 2020. So it became widely publicized and the press started calling it the tree murder riddle. And six months after the bones were found, police got a potential new lead. Six months after the discovery of the skeleton, a message appeared overnight. According to some sources, the message was first graffitied onto a wall in Upper Dean Street in Birmingham, reading, Who put Bella down the witch elm in Hagley Wood? Whoa, a name? Mm Mm-hmm. This is the first time we're getting a potential name. And according to some other sources, the first message was written in chalk on the side of a house in nearby Old Hill and read, Who put Lou Bella down the witch elm? In any case, the name Bella appeared in every iteration of the graffiti in the surrounding areas, and the message baffled police. Who had written it? Was the woman in the tree named Bella? Did somebody know her? Police searched for the person who had written the message and even set up groups of police stationed throughout the city all over, like all over these surrounding cities at night, trying to catch the person who was writing these messages, but to no avail. More, yes, more and more graffiti repeating the same and similar messages started popping up, graffitied onto buildings all throughout the West Midlands area, particularly in Hagley and Birmingham. The police were never able to catch anyone in the act, however, and it was as if the vandal or vandals were always one step ahead of the police movements. Now, I want to stop there and point out Birmingham is where this woman bought the shoes. So it's super interesting that this is the first town where somebody has written the the potential name of this woman. Well, now this yeah. just makes me think that they wanted someone to find this person. Because if, if this graffiti isn't just like some random troll, if it actually is someone who knows something about this murder, then like they were dependent on someone finding this body 18 months later and now they're like having their fun with it. You know, like it doesn't... Yeah. It's weird. Like, why, if this person really is connected to the murder or knows something, why are they, like, trying to be, like, a super villain right now? You know? Well, it says... Why not it says... go to the police and be like, <laughs> right. Hey. right. Why are they being sneaky? Right. Yeah, well, there's, why are they being weird? There's two ways to think about it, right? It's either the person who put her in there is taunting the police and saying, who put Bella in the witch elm? Or could it have been a family member or a secret lover or someone who otherwise wouldn't want the police to know their identity sort of like encouraging the police hey like find out who put bella in the witch elm like don't give up just because the trail is cold like trying to put almost public pressure to keep it in the news keep the press interested trying to figure out you know who did this to this woman i mean so it's two ways to think about it and i mean who knows who knows it's also possible that like there were people just kind of like getting in on the on the action of the story, you know, and just mm-hmm. kind of going like, let's just put a random person's name here and go who put her in the in the elm. Maybe that was a way for them to just kind of like add to the mystery of it right. and make it make it kind of like a, you know, because people do that, you know, like when they go like we have an unsolved murder. If you know the whereabouts of this person, call this number and people would call and be like, oh, I'm the killer. Yeah. <laughs> and then hang up and shit, right? Like, like there they had to have involved. been a 1940s version of that. Yeah, you know? totally. So that's possibly what that is. Yeah, there's always someone who wants to insert themselves into an exciting narrative. Right. Yeah. That's right, definitely. right. That's very true. 
So although the police were unable to connect anyone to the spray-painted messages, the press thereafter began to refer to the woman as Bella. Two years after Bella's body was discovered, Margaret Murray, an anthropologist and archaeologist from the University College London, voiced her theories very publicly on the case. Murray alleged that Bella must have been executed during an occult ceremony and that her hand was removed to be used as a hand of glory. Do I, Here we go. Yeah, do either What's of you know? Go. Yeah, so do either of you know what a hand of glory is? Do you want to take a guess? I think I had one of those in high school in a car. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, no, I have no idea. It sounds terrifying, though. <laughs> All right. Well, guys, buckle the fuck up because I didn't know what a hand of glory was either. And I went down the rabbit hole and I am about to tell you what a hand of glory is and also show you what a hand of glory is. So a hand of glory is the severed, dried and pickled hand normally of a hanged man. Normally, the hand severed is the left hand. But if the hanged man was a murderer, then the hand that, quote, did the deed would be chosen to be the hand of glory. Whoa. According to Wikipedia, old European beliefs attributed great powers to a hand of glory when combined with a candle made from the fat of the same corpse. The candle would be made, lighted, and placed in the hand as if the hand were a candlestick. According to occult beliefs, any persons, any persons except the user of the candle would be rendered motionless in its presence. For this reason, many burglars and criminals were known to carry a hand of glory with them while committing crimes. Whoa! The candle could only be put out with milk, and in some iterations of the belief, the hair of the same corpse had to be used for the candle's wick, and the candle was thought to only give light to its holder. The hand of glory was also thought to unlock any door it came across. Oh, wow. Okay. I want one. At first, so this I was is... like, no, this is gross. But now, after hearing how much this could improve my life, yeah. I'm interested. Like, where do you keep it? On a keychain on your backpack or something? <laughs> like, like a monkey's paw? Yeah. 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 yeah so, so you're basically, like... you're telling me this is a, a hand of a corpse that's been dried and pickled. And then there's a candle made from human fat that's resting in the palm of the hand. Presumably when you light this thing, wax gets like all over the hand and stuff. So it's like very haunted looking. Right. right? So I'm going to send I'm you assuming... guys first. I'm yeah, going to show, send... show me a yeah. picture. Okay. <laughs> I need to see yeah, this thing. This is... So first I'm going to show you um, this illustration of a hand of glory that was created in the 1700s in this book that I'm going to read you wow. a um, an excerpt from that details how to make a hand of glory. So this picture. I'll take some notes. Yeah. So this picture comes <laughs> from the candles on the knuckle. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's actually between the fingers. So once oh, okay. after the, the hand is severed, rigor mortis sets in, right? So it was very important to close the fist of the hand so that it would be able to hold the candle between its fingers. And this illustration comes from the Petite Albert, which was written in 1722 and describes in great detail how to make a hand of glory. Quote, take the right or left hand of a felon who is hanging from a gibbet beside a highway. Wrap it in got a it. yeah okay just check <laughs> very easy check we got we've got yeah, yeah. gallows all over the place <laughs> it's like a recipe yeah 
Wrap it in part of a funeral pall, and so wrapped squeeze it well. Then put it into an earthenware vessel with zimat, nitre, salt, and long peppers, the whole well powdered. Leave it in this vessel for a fortnight. Then take it out and expose it to full sunlight during the dog days until it becomes quite dry. If the sun is not strong enough, put it in an oven with fern and vervain. Next, make a kind of candle from the fat of a gibbeted felon, virgin wax, sesame, and pony, and use the hand of glory as a candlestick to hold this candle when lighted, and then those in every place into which you go with this baneful instrument shall remain motionless. It, does it work? Are That's people the question. I have so many questions. they're like, what the fuck are you doing with that thing? Uh, yeah, I mean... Are there are there accounts of people using them? Yes. So these candles were actually super, super common amongst criminals in the 1600s, 1700s, and 1800s. And whether or not they worked, I mean, we don't, That's I mean, who can say? Who's to say? But it's people like used for them. for us, by us. It's made from a criminal for criminals. <laughs> right. It's right? You all, like, uh, these 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 hands of glory come from authentic criminals. <laughs> all <laughs> organic, uh, ethically sourced yeah, criminal hands. <laughs> Grass-fed <Yeah>. criminals. <laughs> I, I I so okay, okay. So so then this is like this is like the anarchists cookbook mm -hmm. kind of uh, right. of way back then. It's like, here's how you make a bomb at home. If you're a bad person, you're going to want to make a bomb. Here's right. how to make a, a hand of glory for bad people that want to rob, rob and be a criminal or something. Totally. That's it, what it's for. It's like for people that want to commit crimes, essentially. Absolutely. Right. Like a hand of glory would never be made by someone who's just like living their life. Like this is it it's for a purpose. Too. Yeah, it's for a purpose. Cuz it's asking you to do some like pretty terrible shit. Like get the fat of a criminal like wh what? You got to like slice up a, yeah. a body for yeah. that. Yeah. You right. need exactly. You need you access. Melt it down, right. You got to do all this it's shit. A process. Right. So you have to be a very determined person to make a hand yeah. of glory. You have to be okay with I mean, you know, amputating limbs. Um, you have to have the dismembering. Yeah, and dismembering. You have to have the know-how of how to make a candle from fat, which actually a lot of people yeah. would have known how to do. But you have to I be like, comfortable yeah. extracting fat from a human, you know, severing a hand, taking all of this home. <sighs> I, I mean, presumably you'd have to do it in such a way that no one would see you do it. And yeah. I assume there's like a fight. Like if all of the criminals know that when a criminal dies, you can take its right who's taking the hand yeah, yeah. yeah. but also like, you said that it's important to know that the crime committed by the felon or whatever was done by either the right or left yes. hand right so you'd right. have to find out if they stab someone with their right hand then the right hand's the one you make the the hand of glory out of exactly so i mean and that's really important too because if we're buying into this idea of the hand of glory this is this is a form of magic right and so right. the intent becomes really important anytime you're talking about magic because mm -hmm. you know that's the power or the energy normally associated with magical rituals so it, right. it would be important to know which hand had that intent which hand carried out this deed uh, because that hand would then be magically charged with that energy if we're buying into this idea. 
And if we're buying into this idea with connected with the story of this woman in the tree, then we can surmise that potentially she was a criminal right. and someone was cutting her hand off to make a hand of glory. Absolutely. This is very important. You've just stumbled on something very important, Steve. So I want but all of us to remember that. Okay. Why didn't they take mm-hmm. the hand with them? Whoever yeah, why didn't they the use hand? the hand? Right. Okay, these are all very good questions. So the Petite Albert also provides a way to shield a house from the effects of the Hand of Glory. The Hand of Glory would become ineffective and thieves would not be able to utilize it if you were to rub the threshold or other parts of the house by which they may enter with an unguent composed of the gall of a black cat, the fat of a white hen, and the blood of the screech owl. The substance must be compounded during the dog days to be effective. So this, in fact, was, I mean, I don't want to say so common, but people used these hands of glory often enough that if you were a regular ass person, you were afraid enough to want to know how to protect your house from the use of a hand of glory that bandits might be prowling around with. And you'd have to like murder a cat mm-hmm. and an owl and all this <laughs> shit. It's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, pretty complicated. This is starting to sound like witchcraft. Yes, it, is, it sounds exactly like witchcraft. And uh, yeah. uh, dog days is that summertime? Like the dog days of summer? Yeah. What are dog days? So the dog days are defined as the period in the summer, often thought to be the hottest, usually considered to be July third to August eleventh. In ancient times, people associated the heat during this period with the concurrent rising of Sirius, nicknamed the Dog Star. The phrase is a translation of the Latin dies carnicularis, meaning Dog Star Days. Wow. So then it it was important to have the hand drying out in the hottest days. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, the dog days so that it would dry the hand up quicker and rigor mortis or whatever exactly yeah okay all right and i'm on board and now we're kind of adding in an element of astrology right because the whole thing about the dog days is that the star sirius is at its most powerful peak is what people thought and that's why it was so hot so it definitely is witchcraft right like we're adding in all of these different magical elements i love it I'm so into this. Man, this is so cool. I can't believe I'd never heard of a Hand of Glory. Isn't it? I had never heard of it either. It's it's so, like, I don't know. It's it's something that I feel like would be more, pu- like, publicized because it's so creepy and, like, was yeah. kind of common. And especially, like, I mean, I watch a lot of creepy movies and scary things and, like, you know, things that are, like, period movies about witches and, and, and like, weird rituals like this and i've never seen anything about it it's really cool so an actual hand of glory is kept at the whitby museum in north yorkshire england together with a text published in a book from 1823 in this manuscript text the way to make the hand of glory is listed as follows it must be cut from the body of a criminal pickled in salt and the urine of a man woman dog horse and mare smoked with herbs and hay for a month, hung on an oak tree for three nights running, then laid at a crossroads, then hung on a church door for one night while the makers keep watch in the porch. And if it be that no fear hath driven you forth from the porch, then the hand be true one, and it be yours. 
The person Whoa, who so did this. Whoa, so it changed a bit. No, that's fake. The person who makes these hands of glory, like, published this as, like, a, like, to, to throw everyone off. There's no fucking way. Like a troll. Yeah, exactly. So you yeah. think the first you think the first instructions are the real ones and these are the fake ones, right? Yeah, because who discovered that? Like there's so many variables. You dry it on you it has to be an elm tree, you know? Like you have to have not only the whole that. fucking farm piss on it. Yeah, that's <laughs> the wor- that's the weirdest part. Like that doesn't even what's the correlation between the the original idea of like keep brining it Mm -hmm. with like salt and shit or like salt is even a new element in this concoction and the grass but also adding like all this piss is like someone's just like yeah then you pee in it and then you hang it on a church and then you're protected (laughs) (laughs) if you don't get afraid of it like for a night right if you're not afraid right right well so (laughs) let's break some of this down you guys because you know in we covered last year the salem witch trials and in that episode natalia talked about uh, a witch cake and different um, yeah. elements that witches use in their spells in order to do their spells. And I oh. learned that episode that urine was an element of witch cakes and witch bottles. And they would basically have these bottles, these little bottles full of herbs and urine. And that was thought to be a way to curse people. And so during the Salem witch trials, which as we all know was like basically just people angry at independent women and like killing them for it. These women have independent thoughts. Let's murder them. (laughs) This woman's not married and pregnant. Let's fucking kill her. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But they would look throughout homes trying to find these witch bottles, which were full of urine and herbs. So that's one of the elements we're seeing here with the hand of glory. We're kind of seeing another element of witchcraft. And then the crossroads we learned during uh, one of our episodes, two episodes ago, we had a and James Willems on for the yeah they're the best for the murder of the Hammersmith ghost and in that episode we learned that crossroads were thought to confuse yeah that that's where ghosts live and that's where they like bodies of criminals would be buried at crossroads in England because it was thought that the soul would become confused of this criminal and then not be able to come back and haunt the town whoa i love that yeah a lot so that's that's, great so it's kind of another element we're seeing of you know definitely superstition definitely the paranormal and also if this is the hand of a felon does it not make sense then to put it at a crossroads so that any residual energy from that felon any residual soul will be confused and not haunt the person who's using that hand. I'm having like the stupidest thought of like, okay, so you know how we're like, he's a bad boy. And like, we think of a guy on like a motorcycle with a leather jacket or like smoke cigarettes. (laughs) Like is the 1700s version of that? Like he's a bad boy. Like he's like walking around at a crossroads with like this piss hand fat. (laughs) (laughs) Why does he smell like piss? Oh, it's his, his hand of glory. Oh my God. He's just a bad boy. What a bad boy. Yeah. Right, like the equivalent of a leather jacket is a decaying felon hand covered in piss. That's a good point, Natalia. I love him. He's a bad boy, but I love him. So I sent you guys a photo of this hand of glory that's currently on display at the Whitby Museum in North Yorkshire. And I would like you to describe Ah. it to our listeners because this is real. This is a real hand of glory that has been preserved. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't have a candle. 
but it certainly is it looks like a very convincing corpse hand if it if it isn't real it's very convincing it's so big like if you showed this to me i would think that this was sasquatch hand or something <laughs> right. right we need a banana in there for scale yeah yeah it kind of reminds me of you know in the adams family how there's like that hand that walks around yeah is that, yeah, it does, yeah. Right? yeah is that like a glory hand oh shit oh, is, i hadn't even thought of that his name is thing yeah thing is thing a glory hand <laughs> wow a, a mobilized glory right. hand he dreams um, this image hand. is terrifying you can actually see this you can go and see yes. it in real life this you can see loud. it i'm gonna send you guys one more wow. it's like not so, very protected if it is this powerful thing what's keeping someone it's it's like literally just in a glass container like what's keeping someone from just punching that taking it and running off and like doing witchcraft yeah <laughs> yeah you, i mean you'd have to be pretty into glory hands to want to take that i mean i feel like i don't know how you guys feel yeah. about it but I, whenever we cover magic or black magic in this story, I mean, in on this podcast, I always think to myself, you know, of course, maybe it's not real, but on the off chance it is real, I'm not fucking with that glory hand. I'm right. not yeah. getting anywhere near it. I'm not playing with the Ouija board. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. I think it's scary enough to say that's the hand of a criminal, right? Right. Like that, just that alone is like, I need to stay away from that. But if you're like, also, if you add a candle to it and you carry it around, everyone freezes around you and yeah. like cannot move. And it's like, yeah, I don't want that. I'm going to move away from that. <laughs> like, because you're right. In the off chance that it's real, that's I don't want to mess with that shit. Right. You know? Well, and also, if you believe in karma at all, I mean, certain you've got to be do some bad karma if you're chopping off someone's hand and then right. using it to like piss on, put it at crossroads, hang in a church, like you're you know, haunted. and then put make a fat candle and then carry it around to rob people. Like you, yeah, you're straight up fucking haunted at you're that like point. Yeah, and there's usually consequences. There's consequences to like fucking with magic like that. Yeah, you know, where it's like your soul is damned. Right. Like, you know, it's like the fine print on the spells. Like, you can you can freeze people in their tracks with this hand, but, like, ten years from now, you're going to age a hundred mm -hmm. years and then die or right. something. Right, you know? yeah. It's like... I know, isn't yeah. that kind of... I mean, speaking of hands, isn't that sort of the lore behind the monkey's paw? Like Exactly, yeah. yeah. What's like, a you get a paw? wish. What? Well, Steve, if you want to go ahead and describe it. Well, it's, it's literally a monkey's paw that apparently whenever you wish on the monkey's paw, like a finger kind of like goes down and then it, and then it kind of like when you've done all of your wishes, all the fingers close up, like the hand closes up or whatever, but isn't it like, but when it's done, then you're cursed to hell or something. Yeah. So it'll be like, um, if anyone watches Rick and Morty, they, they always do a good job of just bringing random shit into their yes. show to like, and kind of dumb it down for everyone, be, yes. which I need personally. So <laughs> I remember from that show, uh, that's how I learned about the monkey's paw. And it's basically, yeah, you're right, Steve, you get five wishes because there's five fingers on the paw or however many fingers a monkey has. I don't remember. Yeah. And as you wish the, the fingers curl up. But so if you're wishing for something like, um, I want to be young forever, Okay, well, the finger curls up and you will be young forever, but the consequence is actually that you just die young. You know what right. I mean? Yeah, so right. it's it's wishes um, that are technically coming true, but they're coming true in a negative way. There's terrible consequences right. of each wish. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So why does anyone right. do it? 
because they want it the temptation yeah the temptation of of wishes okay because you know most people would be like i don't i don't care if i'm going to hell but if i can like you know wish for like a million dollars or whatever i can enjoy the million dollars right now i'll worry about hell later Mm -hmm. you know right one of those things it's instant gratification right right so what do you guys think of the hand of glory so far it's spooky it's spooky and gross. It kind of reminds me of Shrunken Heads a little bit. I'm, yeah, yeah. I wasn't expecting it to be as popular as it was because I had never heard of one. So then you're t- and you're telling me like this is like a norm. Like people would have known about that. So it's weird mm-hmm. to me to think that like if someone was practicing this black magic ritual in the 1940s. That wasn't that long ago. Why haven't I heard of a glory hand or hand? Probably because it's disgusting and, <laughs> and kind of. And, and not only is it, it it disgusting, it's also really creepy. And it's yeah. like, you know, they try they tend to kind of like leave things like that out of like you know the zeitgeist and popular culture and yeah. stuff like that. Right. Absolutely. But um, yeah, I like who knows how many more things like that there were. Like you know, have the penis of a dog and keep it in your in your necklace or whatever like i'm sure they did all sorts of crazy shit like that's that. so true absolutely absolutely so you know back to the story at hand so further corroborating margaret murray's theory that the severed hand of the woman had been intended to be used as a hand of glory the hand found buried so the hand of this woman the severed hand of this woman was found buried exactly 13 paces from the base of the witch tree haunted allegedly allegedly this was an ancient custom used when a witch was executed (gasps) so she was a witch whoa so i mean if we're if we're buying into margaret's theory here because she was a prominent anthropologist at the time so she presumably was well versed in glory hands or hands of glory she says that you know, not only would the hands of felons be used, but also the hands. I mean, people thought that anyone practicing black magic was a criminal, right? Like that's why so many right. witches were executed. So if this woman was executed for being a witch, it's not a big jump to then think someone who was also in it for nefarious purposes might amputate her hand, use it as a hand of glory, and then return to the scene of the crime and bury the hand 13 paces from the body. Because apparently that was sort of a custom when executing a witch was amputating a part of the body and burying it. So they might've just borrowed that hand in the meantime to use as a hand of glory before completing that ritual of burying the body part 13 paces away. So this person might have used it for whatever they were going to use it for and then, and then just bury it. And then that was that. Right. And they were done with it. Yes. So maybe they had a specific, a specific thing in mind that they wanted to do. So this witch With that, elf yeah, because what if you like wanted a cauldron? It's like a part of some sort of ceremony now at this point. Oh, yeah. Maybe now it's a site for a lot of like new rich rituals, 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 rituals. rituals. <laughs> Love that. Yeah, I mean, it's weird that there's two there's two skeletons in there, though. Like, don't forget, you know, like there's the one that has the there hand. was yeah. two. There's the one. No, that... there's it's all one woman. Oh, I thought that there was one that was like he found and then another one underneath that he he found her head uh which had like he when he looked down her head was what he could see and actually her head according to the press at the time when he looked down into that witch hole she was staring up at him Ah! the the skull was staring up at him and he he picked up that that head 
looked at it, screamed down at his friends and then put it back. And when they came back to take, you know, this woman's head out of the witch elm, they discovered that her entire skeleton was in there, except for that missing hand. Oh, man. So so this woman could have been a witch and the person that murdered her considered her a criminal because being a witch is a criminal or like in some ways being a witch is you know at least ungodly which makes you kind of a criminal in a lot of people's eyes right and then used the hand in some kind of ritual or whatever murdered the woman she's dead used the hand for something brought it back to dispose of it and was just done with it and that's that right yes so that that is what Theory number one is, right? Because we're going down through all of what did people at the time think happened to this woman? Because she's not been identified. So this person that came up with this theory, Margaret, she was very prominent in anthropology circles. And she was the one who said, hey, I think that that's what happened to this woman. And she also noted or concluded rather that the nature of the murder meant that witchcraft or a dark magic ritual had to be involved by the very nature of the murder. If we think that she was murdered for being a witch and then this hand was taken in a ritualistic fashion, buried in a ritualistic fashion, then of course, if you're buying into that theory, magic has to be involved. And she noted that the plant belladonna, also known as deadly nightshade, was widely associated with the occult at the time and might explain why the woman was being called Bella. Oh. Mm-hmm. And local legend at the time also stated that Hagley Wood was already a well-known site for dark magic ceremonies. Margaret also pointed out that a dark magic ritual had also taken place near the murder of Bella in the nearby village of Lower Quinton. So first, let's, before I get into that, uh, murder that had taken place nearby. I want to I want to talk to you a little bit about Belladonna. So Belladonna is the name of Nightshade, which is very famously in pop culture movies yeah. used anytime that a character in a in a movie or show is performing some sort of dark magic, right? Like a right. potion right. brewing in a cauldron. And Belladonna is actually I looked it up is still used by people who practice we might say like dark magic, nefarious magic. Um, it's used mostly for astral projection. So if you want to be able to astrally project yourself somewhere else, Belladonna is used to achieve that by creating Whoa. a sort of draft or potion to drink and get you into that state of mind. And Deadly Nightshade was also used The reason why it's called Belladonna, if you speak Italian, you know that that means beautiful woman. And it was used in Roman times. Women would take eyedroppers and put Belladonna in their eyes. And it would create this chemical reaction where their pupils would dilate. And as we all know, sexual attraction happens when your pupils are dilated. And so it was thought to sort of be like almost like a pheromone, right? Like you attract a mate. Like ancient Roman women thought that if they had these expanded dilated pupils it would attract um a husband or a partner right so it make them think that they were dts yeah yes exactly and they probably were if they're going to that level yeah right (laughs) right did you see her pupils she was so down to fuck (laughs) right but (laughs) deadly nightshade is deadly right so this can go wrong so many different ways if you don't know how you're brewing up a potion whether that's used for a love potion in roman times or whether it's used for astral projection in modern times wow that makes it even hotter yeah Yeah, it does make it hotter for sure (laughs) does uh 
so they never found out who she was and they just called her Bella because of the the witchcraft associations of Belladonna of the Belladonna flower. Right. Or I guess maybe another way to think of it is they're hypothesizing that if this woman was a witch, then it would make sense that her name, whether or not she was born with that name, that her chosen name may have been mm. Bella or Belladonna. So they still don't know who it was. At this point, we still don't know who this woman is. So wow. now I want to talk to you about, right, I, we just mentioned that Margaret, this anthropologist who's really buying into this witchcraft theory, she's also kind of drawing parallels between another murder that had taken place just a couple years later in the nearby town of Lower Quinton where witchcraft was used. And in this case, a man named Charles Walton had been stabbed and pinned to the ground with his own pitchfork in what was perceived to be a witch ritual or steve as you said a ritual a ritual i like that better (laughs) please please use it so let me digress for just a moment to talk to you guys about charles walton's murder so charles walton was found murdered on valentine's day in 1945 at the furs farm in lower quinton the case is notable because the foremost police detective of the era chief inspector robert fabian led the investigation into Walton's death. So this was like a super famous, well-respected police dude who like everyone knows about. And I guess he's very popular in British culture. Like people know he's like kind of like Sherlock in a way. Okay. Okay. So that's why this case has gone down in history as being so well-documented. And Charles Walton, who was born in 1870, worked all his life as an agricultural laborer. For the nine months preceding his death, he had worked for a local farmer named Alfred Potter, whose farm was known as the Furs. On the day of the murder, he left home, where he lived with his wife and niece, with a pitchfork and a slash hook, which is basically a scythe, like what the Grim Reaper uses. And on that particular day, he was headed towards a field where he would be slashing hedges. Walton left home before 9 a.m. and was expected to be back around 4 p.m., However, when Charles's wife came home from her job around 6 p.m., she was surprised to find that her husband was nowhere to be found. His wife went to get their neighbor to accompany her on her search for Charles. The two walked over to Charles' boss's house and alerted him that Charles had not come home from work that day. The three of them then made their way to the area where Charles was scheduled to work. When they arrived, they came upon a gruesome sight. The murderer had beaten Walton over the head with his own walking stick, had cut his neck open with the slash hook, and had driven the prongs of the pitchfork into either side of his neck, pinning him to the ground. The handle of the pitchfork had then been wedged under a cross member of the hedge, and the slash hook had been buried in his neck for good measure. Now, the same professor who conducted Bella's autopsy two years earlier, Mr. Webster, he also conducted Charles' autopsy. And his postmortem exam discovered that Charles' trachea had been cut and that he had bruising to his chest and several broken ribs. Charles also had defensive wounds, a cut on his left hand and bruises on the back of his right hand and forearm. Webster concluded that Charles's wounds had been caused by two weapons, a stabbing weapon and a cutting weapon, presumably the pitchfork and the slash hook. Charles had also been hit over the head with his own walking stick, like we discussed, and that stick was found three and a half yards from his body with blood and hair still adhering to it. It was determined that Charles had died between 1 and 2 p.m. Charles's shirt had been opened, his trousers unfastened, and his fly unbuttoned. 
a cross had been carved into Charles's chest with a knife. The murder Whoa. was never solved. Ew, they had 20... sex with him? They didn't have sex with him, but they Why did open up all of his clothes, right? That's the question. All of his clothes were sort of opened up and a cross wow. was carved into his chest. And if, I mean, just imagine that. A pitchfork pinning this man's head down At and like his throat one completely in the slashed. Afternoon. That's like yes. so right. aggressive. Yeah. Right. That was a message to someone or someones. Right. And 25 years after the murder, Detective Fabian wrote the following. I advise anybody who is tempted at any time to venture into black magic, witchcraft, shamanism, call it what you will, to remember Charles Walton and to think of his death, which was clearly the ghastly climax of a pagan ritual. There is no stronger argument for keeping as far away as possible from the villains with their swords, incense, mumbo-jumbo. It is prudence on which your future peace of mind and even your life could depend. Whoa. So. If you have I mean, incense, you're now a murderer. Yeah. <laughs> you're a suspect. Yeah. I mean, at that point, I guess, who knows if there was like a, a movement to kind of like scare off people from trying witchcraft or doing witchcraft and maybe just kind of like using that man's murder as a way to kind of like motivate their their you know the 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 thing to kind of like stop people from doing witchcraft shit right right and there's you know? definitely some fear mongering involved here right that sort of reminds us of the salem witch trials again like if you're doing anything that we consider abnormal you're a witch and you need to stop right. that because you could die right 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 so amongst the theories and rumors that surrounded this case in subsequent years are the following. It was claimed that locals believed that Walton was a witch whose powers were feared by some villagers. It was claimed that he could cast the evil eye and kept toads as pets and used them to blight the crops and livestock of local farmers. <gasps> two, two examples wow. cited were the failure of the 1944 harvest and the death of Potter, his bosses, Heifer, which had died the day before uh, Walton's murder. It was claimed that this alleged witchcraft led him to be murdered in a ritualistic manner, which involved his blood soaking into the ground to replenish the soil's fertility. Local, wow. Yes, heavy. Local folklore held that phantom black dogs roamed the area and were a harbinger of death. It was claimed that soon after Walton's murder, a black dog was found hanging from a tree close to the murder scene. Fabian wrote that he himself had encountered a black dog while walking at dusk in the area where Walton was murdered. The story he related was that a dog ran past him and shortly afterwards he was met by a local boy walking in the same direction. He asked the boy if he was looking for his dog, but when Fabian mentioned the animal's color, the boy turned a deathly pale and fled in the opposite direction. Whoa. This is just like discrimination against black dogs though. Like if it was <laughs> if there was like a brown dog that ran by and then a black dog and then like a yellow dog, like there you know what I mean? It would be normal, but But isn't it interesting now how like it's a black cat that's still kind of the creepy thing, but a black dog isn't really seen as like a right. a, a, a cursed thing or something? Yeah. Yeah, the it, the times change but not much, right? It's still a black animal, but instead of a dog, yeah. it's a cat now. So right. some, some local rumblings also relate the murder of Charles with the murder of a local woman in the area who was stabbed through the head with a pitchfork by, quote, the town simpleton. So, Natalia, like you said, of mice and men shit, 
it. Yeah. With lin- yeah. Yeah. So yeah. basically the Linny of this small town had stabbed a woman through the head with a pitchfork. And when he was captured, he said that he had stabbed her because she was a witch. He was arrested and brought to trial, but found to be criminally insane and committed to an asylum instead of prison. Okay. So, like so that was though? sort of... Being yeah. a witch, yeah. like being a witch, yeah. or like murdering someone, right? Yeah, or yeah, or being known as the town simpleton. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> that yeah, that sounds like the worst. So yeah. okay, so that was sort of a tangent, but basically, my point is that this anthropologist Margaret Murray was attempting to connect the dots between Bella's murder and the murder of this farmhand in a neighboring town, because both murders were unsolved and both had some characteristics of ritual murder, which at the time were associated with black magic. And the fact that Bella was entombed inside of a tree rather than being buried was also indicative of a ritualistic slaying. The theory that Bella was executed for some crime against a coven quickly gathered steam as well and remains a favorite theory even today. So Interesting. could Bella have been murdered? Could she have been a witch part of a coven and then the, she did something where the coven turned on her and did this ritualistic slaying? Whether or not to get the hand of glory, who knows? But did this slaying to stop Bella? Maybe she yeah. was turning uh, into a bad witch and this was a good coven. Or maybe the coven turned bad and Bella was good. I mean, we don't really know. But that's another favorite theory. So that's theory number two. Yeah. And a black magic ritual isn't the only theory of what happened to Bella. In 1953, a reader referring to herself only as, quote, Anna of Claverly wrote a letter to Wilfred Byford Jones, a journalist working for a local paper called the Wolverhampton Express and Star. In her letter, Anna claimed that Bella was part of a World War II era spy ring sent by the Germans to get intel on the area's munitions factories. Okay. Anna wrote that this spy ring was made up of, quote, a Dutchman, a foreign trapeze artist, and a British army officer. She said that the British officer, who was a relative of hers, had been spying for the Germans and that Bella was a Dutch woman named Clarabella Dronkers, who had known too much. Anna said that the officer and his friend, the trapeze artist performing at the Birmingham Hippodrome, killed Bella and disposed of her body in the Hagley Woods. Byford Jones and the police believed that it was possible that spies were in the area during World War II because there were a lot of factories that were essential to the English war effort, and knowing the locations of these factories would have been valuable intel for the Germans. In fact, many spies for the Germans, some of whom were Dutch, were discovered and executed in Britain in the 1940s. For example, according to an article written by Ian Cobain titled Britain's Ruthless War on Nazi Spies, M15, which is basically the British version of the FBI, hanged two Dutchmen who they suspected of being Nazi spies in 1940. After a local bartender called the police when one of the men ordered a beer from him and he noticed their foreign accents. So kind of, oh, no. so kind of like sounds... the Red Scare. Like yeah. Natalia last episode talked about the Red Scare in the 1960s mm-hmm. in the U.S. 
in the 1940s in England, they were super suspicious suspicious of foreigners who they thought might be spies sent by the Germans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I now, don't know. Well, what's the point of burying her in this like super weird way if she was a spy? Why not just like and also cutting off her hand too? Yeah, yeah. was that like a typical thing they would do to like treason you, tr- people committing treason or something? I don't know. That's you a would, good well, question. You would think though that spies were so good, probably at like hiding bodies and them never being caught. You know, so like the fact that I mean, there's also the the potential idea that they that it was like a like an FBI thing or whatever. But they but they they did such a weird thing with her body to throw it off from being like a government yeah, thing. Absolutely. And having it just be like an urban legend kind of thing. You know, you know and Steve, yeah, what you're saying conspiracy. kind of makes a lot of sense because mm-hmm. these records of M15 executing people they thought were German spies actually only recently came to light. Like sort of like how the FBI keeps a lot of records sealed in the U.S. The same yeah. thing was happening during wartime. Uh, with M15 in Britain because they didn't want the public to know what they were up to. So, yeah, you're right. Could it have been a red herring? Could they have intentionally planted this evidence to throw off the case? And this woman who had written this information into the newspaper, Anna, was later identified as Una Mossop. And she alleged that her Royal Air Force pilot husband, Jack Mossop, had actually witnessed Bella's death. She said that Mossop had told her that he had become involved in a spy ring along with a Dutchman called Van Ralt. One evening, Van Ralt, accompanied by a woman Mossop believed to be Bella, had picked up Mossop in his car. Shortly after, Van Ralt strangled the woman, allegedly because of her spy associations. Another version of the story claimed that Jack Mossop and Van Ralt had been drinking with Bella in a local pub when she became drunk and passed out. The two men then placed the woman in the tree to teach her a lesson. When she awoke, she was unable to climb out and perished. However, this theory doesn't explain the discovery of the taffeta stuffed inside her mouth, nor does it explain the severed hand. Whichever version was reported to the newspaper has become obscured by time, but what is known is that Jack Mossop was real and he died in St. George's Hospital, Stafford, before Bella's body was discovered. So if he did know Bella, his secret died with him. Hmm. Allegedly, recurring nightmares of Bella's skull stuffed inside of the tree ultimately led to his mental breakdown when he died in an asylum. Von Ralt was never found, wow. and investigators considered Mossop's testimony to be nothing more than hearsay from an estranged wife told 12 years after the discovery of Bella. M15 later looked into Anna's allegations again, and although some of her statements were verified, the information went nowhere and the case went cold again for another 40 years. Wow. So the theories are basically, one, it was a... A criminals that executed like a someone in some sort of occult ritual to make a glory hand or that mm-hmm. there was a coven and this woman was actually a witch and they executed her or right. that she was a spy as part of a spy ring that was executed or well i guess the last theory is like someone confirming that basically Right. And actually, so I'm so you're absolutely right, Natalia. Those are all the theories. And now we get into the very last theory. So according to CrimeReads.com, in later years, declassified M15 files gave some weight to the spy theory. 
The files re revealed information concerning a German spy named Josef Jacobs, who was captured after breaking his ankle while parachuting into Cambridgeshire in 1941, the same year that Bella uh, was murdered. After Jacob's arrest, a creased photograph of the glamorous German actress and cabaret singer Clara Bauerle was found in his pocket. Jacobs told his interrogators that Clara was his lover and that the Third Reich had recruited her as a spy. According to Jacobs, Clara had parachuted into the West Midlands in 1941 and disappeared. Could Clara have been the woman Una Masop had mentioned? Josef Jacobs was never able to shed any more light into Clara's fate as he was executed by firing squad in August of 1941. So that is the final theory. Could this wow. German actress who was parachuting into, uh, into Britain as a spy have and disappeared around this time, could that have been, could this woman have been Bella? <sighs> That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it, would people it's, not recognize every her? single one, though. Well, yeah, that's the other thing. Would people have recognized her? Well, so there's a picture of her, but I'm not going to send it to you guys because, it, in my opinion, she doesn't look like like she doesn't look like she has the fucked up teeth. So yeah, I don't think it was her. And to your point, also, I mean, one of the iterations of this theory says that the woman was found in a tree because she parachuted into the tree. Here's the problem with that. No parachute, parachute was found. And yeah, also and why would she have a gag in her mouth. And also and the hand. And why would she be wearing a dress? You're parachuting in a dress? Yeah. And and crepe shoes? That right. doesn't right. So to me, like this sort of even though it's the last theory technically, it sort of is the least um likely. I, I guess every story has like some holes and then some possibilities, but like for all we know, none of those are even the true story. Right. And there's a, a yet another story that, right. that could be true. Right. And, yeah. the, and the story gets even weirder if you can believe it, because according to strangeremains.com, when the West Mercia police published their case file after the investigation was finally closed in 2009, it was discovered that Bella's bones had disappeared. After what? Dr. Webster examined the bones in 1943, he sent the remains to a friend at the University of Birmingham for some unofficial tests, but there are no records about what happened to the remains after that. This caused some people to speculate that this was proof of a cover-up at the highest levels of the government, possibly M15. Other theories mm. come from a podcast called Punt P.I., where journalist Steve Punt took it upon himself to look into Bella's death. Punt does not believe in the supernatural and thinks the idea that the five-foot woman would have been a spy is unlikely. He concludes that it's more likely that Bella was a prostitute or transient, murdered by either a client or perhaps a serial killer who knew that she would not be missed. An episode of the television program Nazi Murder Mysteries described a forensic facial reconstruction undertaken by the Liverpool John Moores University Face Lab from photographs of the skull. It was commissioned by author Andrew Spark for his book on the incident. So I'm going to send you guys the facial reconstruction image of yeah. what this university came up with for what they think Bella may have looked like. And I want you to describe it to the listeners. And then we're going to finish up with what you guys think happened so here... i don't like how they're like she can't be a spy because she's five foot that's right stupid. wow 
Okay. Also, so that's w- what her teeth look like. Wouldn't like, wouldn't you want to pick someone who looks unlikely to be a spy? No you offense know I mean? to this woman, but like this person that these people drew up looks like a straight ogre from Shrek. <laughs> <laughs> like the only thing she's missing are the antenna things. Yeah, if we made her green. Right. Like Yeah, she does look like Fiona. You're right. She looks like Fiona from Shrek. She looks like she has Fiona a very from Shrek. wide, flat face with like a very wide, like snubbed nose and like buck teeth that stick out even when her mouth is closed. Yeah. She's got like a Freddie Mercury smile. Right. So, right. Like a Freddie Mercury teeth. Right. She's yes. blessed with teeth. Yeah. And Ma, I the, mean, the teeth are yeah. very distinctive, right? So you think if some, if like something had been published in the paper about these teeth, you think someone would have come forward and someone been like, "Yeah, remember. that's my mom or that's my wife." I guess it's like, but but if she was a spy, or if she was, you know, something of a spy, something like a spy, then you you wouldn't want to be like, "I know who that is," right? right? Because then they'd be like, "You're a spy." Right. 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 So so maybe that's why someone was graffitiing who put Bella in the witch elm because they wanted right. this to stay in the news and for the killer to be found. But they didn't want to admit they knew this woman. Right. 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 Because it was a dangerous time where you could just be, you know, someone could just be like, that person's a spy or that person's a witch. Right. And they'd be like, you're you're dead. Essentially. Yeah, like, right. Right. Like, really good. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. So it's like a terrifying time to kind of it was it was mo- more about keeping your mouth shut. You right. know, when when things like this were were huge, especially if it was like because, I mean, let's say she was a witch. You're going to say you knew this witch. Yeah. And then people are yeah. going to be like, well, what are you a witch? Or yeah. like, you know, it's like. It was just safer to kind of keep your mouth shut. And maybe people who knew her just kind of quietly mourned and were like, you know, casualty of war, what can you do? I mean, we don't want to die, too. And I think she would have wanted us to, you know, protect ourselves by not being like we knew her and then potentially getting in trouble because of it. Right. Absolutely. And I, I also sent you guys a drawing that goes along with that reconstructed facial photo this drawing was done in the late 1900s. So if you want to read off what you're seeing in this illustration. Um, you want to go for it? Yeah, it looks like uh, she's she, she kind of looks like a 1950s kind of style, you know. But even though I guess it's 40s, it must mm-hmm. be 40s. But it's kind of just a drawing of a woman with all of these kind of diagrams pointing towards the noticeable irregularity from the front teeth. And she was five feet tall. I guess it's just kind of showing us maybe what she could have looked like in, a, in the form of a drawing. Right. Like what I'm looking at right. is like a full body sketch of a woman. And they're yeah. saying she's got brown hair, a dark blue striped knitted woolen cardigan, a light blue belt, a mock wet wedding ring, a cloth skirt with a zipper, blue crepe sole shoes, peach colored taffeta under her skirt. Yeah. Like it's like a police Yeah, sketch or and something. D- yeah. Yeah, and not to stereotype, but I mean if we're I mean we kind of have to because we don't know who this woman was. Like, does this look like an outfit that may that like a prostitute would wear to you? Like, no, it's like someone's mom. Yeah. 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 This is someone's mom. Okay. well, let's let's finish up the story and then I want to hear your theories. 
But the fact that she has a mock wedding ring, I mean, it could just mean that they couldn't afford a wedding ring, but mm-hmm. it could also be another point towards a spy, right? Yeah. Yeah, because this one, this this diagram or drawing alludes to the fact that her wedding ring might not have been legitimate and could have been a spy accessory. Right. Like it wasn't real precious metal. It was right. made to look like a wedding ring, but it was actually just made of, you know, whatever cheap, whatever cheap stuff you could get your hands on. Right. Yeah. So who was Bella? Who put Bella in the witch elm? Was she a witch murdered by her own coven in a black magic ritual? Could she have been just an innocent woman suspected of being a witch murdered by the townsfolk? Was her death connected to the ritual murder of Charles Walton? Was her hand severed by criminals who intended to use it as a hand of glory? Could Bella have been a German spy, an actress, a prostitute? Whoever she was, the mystery of who put Bella in the witch elm remains just as baffling today as it was to detectives over 75 years ago. The elm tree that served as her coffin for over a year has since been chopped down, but the stump remains. Rumors in the area state that the stump is still used today in witch circles when local covens in the area perform rituals in Bella's remembrance. And that is the story of Bella in the witch elm. So I'd like to end this episode by discussing theories with you guys because I don't know what you guys think, but to me, this whole story is, I love a good mystery and this definitely delivers. Like this is, there's so many different directions your mind can go in. So I want to hear, what do you guys think happened? I mean, I, I don't know if I'm convinced by any of the stories really. Like none of them seem more convincing than the other really. I, I guess... The facts are that this body was found in that tree and its hand was cut off for sure. Right. Like that's yes. not a that's not a just one of the stories. No, no. Like it was that's for the sure. fact. Mm-hmm. I mean, if her hand was cut off, unless that's like something they did even still back then for like thieves or or liars or something, it just seems like. Whether it was real witchcraft or whether it wasn't real witchcraft, it seems like the 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 purpose of her death was for some form of occult magic, whether it worked or not. And that's that's my theory is that whether or not it worked or it was magical, the intention was for some kind of magic, I believe. Right. I have a question. So she died by strangulation? That's what the autopsy said? Well, she died because her own dress, pieces of her own taffeta dress had been ripped off and shoved in her mouth. So she strangled to she death choked? or suffocated to okay. death. Yeah. Okay. Fuck, man. I don't... I know. It's rough. Because it could be someone that just, like, murdered a woman and then was, like, a weirdo and cut off her arm or cut off her hand also. Right. Cause I mean like that, like gagging someone with their own dress has, is the makings of like someone who's not well and is a murderer or some kind of creepy person. Were they going to cut her body up and like disperse it throughout the woods? And then we're like, what am I doing? Right. Weird tree right there. Why don't I just fucking do that? Right. (laughs) Also, but also, you know, you touched on this very early in the story, Natalia, and I kind of agree with that is my personal theory is like this was private property. So people should not have known that this tree was hollow. So whoever put her in that tree, which is a very large tree, must have known that it was hollow. Right. Because why would you go to the trouble of like 
carrying this woman up into every single tree to see which one's hollow. You know what I mean? And the medical examiner guy even said that he thought the area was so remote that it must have been a local that put her there. And the property she was found on consists of this forest, right? The Hagley Wood, and also an estate. And the estate is owned by members of the Littleton family, which was a noble family that held all kinds of honorary titles like Lord and Baron and Lord Lieutenant. And some of them even held government positions. And in everything I read, I could not find a single thing that said the family who lived in the house was ever questioned or even investigated. And so I'm wondering, like, could this have been something where, like, a member of this noble family murdered this woman threw her in the tree that they already knew was on their property and they just weren't expecting someone to find her like and maybe no yeah, one wh- looked into it because they were so important in the area yeah, could, it, what if it was like a joffrey like a game of thrones like joffrey yeah. kind of like sociopathic kid of mm-hmm. of this royal family or someone who was just like didn't know any better and was like i'm i'm like of royalty and i have money i could do whatever the fuck i want and maybe they just murdered this poor woman and, right. and then put her in that tree. But the thing that just doesn't, it still doesn't compute in my brain and the whole thing is like, why, why in that tree? Yes. Like, yeah. like, why? Why not buried? Why in that tree? It doesn't look easy to put a body in there. No. Like, no, no. matter what. Well, that's what I think she had to have climbed into the tree herself because they would have. Yeah, there would have been first of all her clothes would have been way more ripped up I think if she was dragged in there. Yeah. But I don't but also a 5 foot woman, I mean back in those days probably couldn't have weighed more than 100 pounds. Well, some of her like, clothes were found buried with the hand. Don't forget that part of it. So some of her clothes were part of it was ripped off and shoved in her mouth and other other pieces of clothing were ripped off and buried with the hand. Okay, but she was still wearing clothes when they found her. Mhm. Yeah, yes, God, she was still what wearing the some hell? clothes. It's so weird. It's the other so thing I weird. think about, too, is, like, these kids maybe, like, okay, so you know how everyone has in their neighborhood, like, some spot where they know shit goes down at? There's, like, yeah. teenagers who, like, graffiti it or, you know, go drink in that area or, like, bad stuff happens there. Maybe this tree, if this did have this, like, sort of uh, reputation of being this spot where people would do witchcraft or have, like, you know, forbidden weird things going on there then maybe those kids said that they were looking for birds nests or whatever but maybe they like went over there to go check that area out because it is like a weird From suspicions spot or something you know? yeah like because like why yeah because like w- for the kid to climb all the way up in there too and then like pick up the skull like wouldn't you just see it and be like that's a skull and also like cr- climbing up on that tree to get a better look at like bur- at potential other trees where birds nests might be is also kind of interesting, right? Because, like, yeah. right. how would you even be able to, like, see other birds' nests from there? I don't know. I don't know. I just, it's the just whole the, thing whole, is so the whole thing is it's so, so weird. weird. Yeah, I think, Natalia, that's a really good point, too, that I hadn't considered. Maybe maybe there was already a rumor that someone had been murdered there, and they were just going to go check it out to see if they could find a dead body. I mean, that's, like, yeah. not an uncommon trope in horror movies and in right. real life, you know? Right, right. Yeah, Yeah, like, I think Alyssa and I listened to a podcast, I can't remember what it was, a long time ago, or no, it was me and Audrey, and it was talking about a murder that took place, and there there was, like, rumors that there was a dead body hidden somewhere in the woods, but, like, no one was going to go and talk about it because you just hear rumors and you don't want to get involved, you know, now you're going to be someone who's questioned by the police, right? and then they ended up finding the body 
and it was just like very very like odd so that does happen in real life like yeah. there are rumors and things that people know you know they're like oh the gym teacher got like murdered one of his students or something and right. it's just like this hush hush thing you know yeah right. i don't know well what what do you think Alyssa? I, yeah what do you think i mean my favorite thing that i while we were like discussing everything i'm still stuck on the hand of glory that to me is so interesting it's fascinating yeah so i'm kind of wondering i mean i'm kind of like you steve i'm stuck on why was her hand chopped off like if if you just want to murder a lady murder her bury her like why dump her into this witch tree known for witchcraft and why chop her hand off and bury it 13 paces away and you know what i mean it's just like it's very it, it's very ritualistic to me like what like you said steve right. whether or not it actually worked who knows but like why go yeah. to all that trouble of the ceremony of all the different things right. involved in the death if it wasn't for some ceremonial purpose unless it's like totally just some guy that was like i know how to get away with the perfect murder yeah <laughs> and no one will ever trace it back to me and then they'll just forever think that it was some witchcraft shit and I'll be able to do it, you know? No, I that's don't know. true. Yeah, like you yeah. said, if, if M15 mean, murdered her for being a spy, then why not throw in a bunch of red herrings to throw off the scent? Right. Who knows? And then her bones yeah, were that... lost? Like, what? Her, her, all of yeah, her when remains? when did that happen? When did this, her bones go So they, they only discovered that all of this was missing in 2009, but they think that it got lost when the original medical examiner sent the bones to Birmingham for further study. He sent it to his friends, the remains. And then there's no log of those bones ever making it to Birmingham. And nobody seems to know where they would have been stored or anything like that. Interesting. So maybe they were just like, disappear these bones so nobody gets too close to the truth. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. The spy thing is starting to make more sense to me, too, because I keep ruminating on why hasn't her supposed husband or her son come forth or like some of their family, you know, and I know lots of people were missing at that time, but then wouldn't they be able to corroborate like missing people you know like if not the son and the father then her grandparents their grandparents or something so then that makes it kind of seem like maybe she could be a spy if she had no one looking for her there's also a chance that like everybody knew she was into witchcraft including her husband and was like i want nothing to do with this woman right and then just if the fact that she never turned up again just means that whatever witchcraft shit she got involved in led to her death in some way right. and that could explain you know the a coven maybe killing her or an, or witchcraft related incident or something you know yeah yeah because there was that one murder that happened at like one o'clock in the afternoon where right he, like, yeah. sliced that guy's chest and right. all that too right. yeah that's yeah, what I a mean... fucked up time to be alive like that's... seriously <laughs> like seriously every aspect of this story is just like wow i'm so glad i was not alive during this time period right right and and now that we have better forensics technology it's it's a little bit easier to find out a lot of unexplainable things but Mm -hmm. there's still so much mystery surrounding so much shit that uh you know yeah it must have been miserable yeah absolutely well thank you steve for joining us on this uh story this spooky it was my pleasure my pleasure (laughs) i really appreciate it and 
we would like to ask you to do our sign off. We always oh, ask sure. our guests um, to do our sign off and it's BRB got to go with a call back to something that happened in the story. So for example, like BRB got to go find the witch tree or something like okay, that. Okay, sure. And sure. you can do okay. a bunch in a row or you can just do one, whatever you want to do. Okay. Okay. Um, BRB got to go find my hand of god what was it called hand of hand glory, of glory? <laughs> yeah okay okay right right <laughs> brb gotta go get my hand of glory yeah. <laughs> and then i'll do a, nice. oh oh here's another one brb gonna go find some birds nests yeah <laughs> <laughs> love that awesome thank <laughs> right. you so right. much steve thank you guys this yeah. is great have me back again please yes please come back yes anytime yeah. we are we would love to have you wonderful all right all well right. take care guys bye, bye. My sources for this episode are an article titled Revealed After 75 Years, The Face of Bella in the Witch Elm by Mike Lockley. I also listened to Punt P.I. podcast series seven called Who Put Bella in the Witch Elm from August of 2014. I also used Wikipedia, History.com, BBC.co.uk, an article entitled who Put Bella Down the Witch Elm by Strange Remains, and another article entitled Who Put Bella in the Witch Elm by Amber Hunt and Emily G. Thompson, and another article entitled Secrecy and Firing Squads, Britain's Ruthless War on Nazi Spies by Ian Cobain. We'd also like to thank our sponsors for this episode, Rian, Philip, Kristen K., Caroline L., James from Durham, North Carolina, Alicia C., who wants me to say, fuck you, Monte, Sydney M, Jesse B, Walk Sit Play Pet Care, Jesse B again, Tay S, Ephraim P, Kevin T, Julissa D, and Sean S. Thank you guys so much. The show does not run without you, and we really appreciate your donations. If you'd like to make a donation to our podcast, you can do so by going to letsgethaunted.com and clicking the button in the upper right-hand corner that says Donate. Or you can Venmo at NatStron or at DogMomUSA, or you can go to paypal.me slash Until next time, stay haunted.